Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. And folks, unfortunately, tonight we have to talk about the end of the 2022-2023 Buffalo Bills season as they fall to the Cincinnati Bengals 27-10 in the divisional round playoffs. Sean McDermott suffers his first home playoff loss as the Bills head coach. And with me tonight to sort through it is Luca. Luca, I'm going to save you the normal question I ask you, which is, how are you doing tonight? Because I think we all know how we're doing. And this is going to be challenging, Luca. And I think this show is going to be one where we kind of weave in and out of, was this just a bad game? And it just happened to be at the wrong time of the year? Or is this a sign of real trouble on this roster? And I think that's going to be tricky to sort through here tonight and then moving into the offseason. Yeah, this is going to be a very, and it it feels fitting, and we obviously can go into it, but it'll be a very unstructured episode of Bill's Chat. And, you know, uh, for anyone that's listening and not able to see clips that we put out or anything of that nature, I am dressed in what I consider to be appropriate attire. I have decided to wear all black suit coat and all because unfortunately this is an episode of which we are at a wake and funeral for that of which is the 22 23 Buffalo Bills season. And it's just, it's an episode that is going to be therapeutic for one for the two of us. And I think it hopefully it could be used as therapy for others. I don't, I mean, Look, I wouldn't come to Josh or I for actual structural therapy. So if you need yeah. to please consult a actual licensed individual for that kind of uh, attention. But this is going to be one where, yeah, it's, the discussion to be had is going to be of a lot of different topics. And it's just one that needs to be brought up. Whatever Josh drives our discussion through, I'm honestly intrigued because we don't have notes for this. I have no idea where Josh's head is at other than what we may have discussed off air right before recording. And then Josh has no clue where my head is at at times. And um, I think that's going to be healthy in a way, but then also very interesting because there are things to talk about with this game. Everyone knows what happened in this game, but then instantly there is a reaction to what happened in this game and where this leaves us as fans. And then where this leaves the team and how we think that's going to look moving forward. So yeah, this this episode, I'm not saying I'm looking forward to this episode because, well, I wish we weren't having this episode at all, but it'll be an interesting one for sure. You know, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I think this is one of those episodes where our podcast format can really thrive because the idea of Bill's chat when we first came together to do a Bill's podcast was we essentially wanted to be two friends sitting together at a bar, sharing a drink, and talking bills. If you've seen our logo on social media, that's exactly what our logo is. And tonight, we're like Lucas said, we don't have notes. We don't don't have a format. Luca and I are just like you out there listening. We're Bills fans who had high hopes for this season, who are sad right now. And we just pulled up to the table at the bar, sitting down with our buddy, We're going to talk through it. We're going to probably get into some big picture stuff. I can guarantee you we're going to get into some big picture stuff. We'll get into some of the stuff that happened in the game that bothered us. Um, We're probably not going to go through the play-by-play. I I don't really have a huge desire to relive everything, that every nook and cranny of that game that just happened. But, Luca, where I do want to start with is this team now has lost two years in a row in the divisional round of the playoffs. And in 2021-2022 season, 
uh, in January last year. They lost to Kansas City in one of the most heartbreaking losses, not only in Bill's history, but NFL history. And the pain from that game was we all thought that the Bills were the best team in the league. And they let a very, very sweet opportunity go by. And the sequence of events that led to them losing that game haunts a lot of us to this day. This year, they lost a game at home to a team they were favored to beat by nearly a touchdown that had three backup offensive linemen start the game, another offensive lineman get hurt mid-game and have to play through an injury, and the Bills got dismantled on both sides of the ball, particularly on the line of scrimmage. And unlike last year, where the pain is, we are the best team in the league and we have nothing to show for it. This year's pain is, how close are we to even being in the conversation for the best team in the league? Because in my mind, Luca, the Bills didn't just lose. They got completely outclassed player and coaching from the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, that last little highlight there is um that's a key point right there. Um this was definitely one that leaves you asking that question and what I would say to that initially, you know, off the chest is this team isn't the best in the NFL. It has pieces that are high-end caliber. There is the question if Josh Allen is the best or not, and you're you're entitled to your opinion on that. The fact of the matter is if you have that elite quarterback, which Josh Allen is, the you know the ranking of those elite quarterbacks from there is kind of a moot point it, it doesn't need to be a discussion had i think that's something also by the way you know we're right out here five minutes into this episode and i think that's something that we should go into this offseason like look national media tomorrow and this week is going to be discussing you know is josh allen not even in the level of mahomes and burrow now they're all elite quarterbacks they all do what they can for their team and they do it at a very very high end rate that does it matter? Like, does it really matter? On top of that, though, when you get outside of Josh Allen, when you get outside of the likes of even Diggs at times and things like that, is this roster really? It brings me to a point, you know, one of the earliest episodes we had, Josh, when we started this whole adventure, it's kind of a full circle episode here we have. And one of the first things we talked about is how deep this team is, how full it is from top to bottom. It really looks like an incredible roster of talent that should be able to get us to that last game of the season. Now sitting here after watching what we just did and the coaching staff and what they tried to do with that team as well. Are they really that deep? Do they really have that good of talent outside of those key little pieces? Because on top of that, one or two pieces, not or. I mean, there are two pieces on the defensive side, at least, that you could call part of that high end. And then, like, those guys were gone. And then what was there to replace them is just not even remotely close to being good enough. And coaching could do nothing to try to even disguise that. Your rush can't dip to the point that it did when Von Miller goes out. Your coverage and secondary can't dip to the level of play that it does when Micah Hyde leaves. Like, it just can't. You need to have the ability to not only have a person go in there and do an adequate enough job, but then coach to the point and scheme and do whatever you need to do to disguise those holes as much as you can. And the bottom of the line is this game showed that McDermott, Frazier, everyone involved couldn't do the coaching aspect of that. And then the personnel we had available couldn't live up to any billing that is to get an adequate level of play to then, you know, fill those holes as best as they can. 
I don't need a Micah Hyde out there to fill the Micah Hyde's role. You can't have a Micah Hyde sitting behind a Micah Hyde. I just need you to be a dependable NFL player. And we just didn't have that. So it's a weird place that we live in now where this game isn't heartbreaking in the sense of 13 seconds and stuff like that at Arrowhead. This game, though, is one that is, for lack of a better term, just frustrating because it leaves you questioning everything you believe with this team, with the organization top to bottom, and what this coaching staff and personnel group can even do moving forward. I think the one thing that's been thrown out right out the gate on social media, Josh, is that is this Super Bowl run over? And I see a lot of people think that the Super Bowl window is closed for the, you know, a few years or whatever you want to say. I think that's an overreaction like that to me is definitely an overreaction. Your Super Bowl window isn't necessarily closed when you do have Josh Allen, when you do have Von Miller, hopefully coming back and stuff like that. Like we don't know where he's going to come back and what, you know, it's an ACL injury on top of the MCL, things like that. He is a little older. Let's see what we get. And then, of course, since it was on Thanksgiving, you probably get them late. So let's see where that goes. But you get those guys back when you have those kinds of individuals in the locker room and able to play your Super Bowl window is not closed. It just leaves you head scratching. And I think what it does is it teaches us all a valuable lesson. Like this team is not as good as we thought they were. And we need to go into potentially this offseason leading into next season with kind of a, a reality check and a mindset that is. We aren't as good as we think we are, and we need to just always kind of keep ourselves in tune and and real with what we have in front of us because we do not have the type of personnel that we, you know, just across the sideline today had offensively. The talent they were able to put on the field was just bottom line much better than what the Bills could put out offensively. And then their defense just dominated us from top to bottom, essentially. Like they had a rookie corner that was able to take care of his business on us. And that's something that consistently we haven't even had, you know, we drafted a corner first round. Kyrie Elam has made good plays, but has he done it consistently? Have we been able to depend on him to do something that then they watch their guy do? No, bottom line is no. And that's something that needs to reel us back in. And the, the reality is our Super Bowl window isn't closed, but we are maybe not quite at the level as it seemed with Kansas city and the Cincinnati, like we want to be there and we can get them on any given Sunday for lack of a better way to say it. But are we on par with them? Maybe not so much. No, the super bowl window is not closed to your point. I think with, when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, the super bowl window never really closes as long as he's healthy because you would think barring some really catastrophe, the bills are going to be in the playoffs every year, especially since they've expanded it to 14 teams, make it. And, you know, as, as bad as we all feel today, it is important to remember that we're talking about a 13 and three football team that won the division pretty much going away and sent the new England Patriots home, sent the Miami dolphins home. You can talk about that game how you want to, but what I do think is if you want to compare, say like the bills, to the Aaron Rodgers Packers. The window for the team is not closed, but maybe the window for this particular core group of players is. Because when you think about when Aaron Rodgers came into Green Bay, it was Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, Al Harris. And then eventually those guys kind of fade away. And then it becomes Clay Matthews, A.J. Hawk, Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson. 
And then those guys come in and they fade away. And then it's BJ Raji. And then, you know, you get the point. Now it's, now it's um, Devontae Adams. And then he's gone, obviously, but Aaron Jones. I think what we might be seeing is this second wave of the Josh Allen, Allen era, because this first wave was very much about the pied, the pied, Hyde Poyer tandem at safety. And I feel pretty good about saying that I, I think we've probably seen the last game uh, with Hyde and Poyer both starting at safety. I don't get the vibe that Poyer's coming back. I could be wrong. We'll see what happens this offseason. Um, Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips came back to run it back this year. They're both unrestricted free agents unless they want to come back on really team-friendly deals. I think both of those guys probably could be gone as well. Cole Beasley, John Brown came back. It was nice to see them back. I don't, I don't get the sense that those guys are necessarily coming back. There's a decision to be made on Tremaine Edmonds this offseason. I would put him at the more likely to come back category, but still, we don't know what we don't know. And then Devin Singletary. So there's a lot of names there. And then who knows at some point in his career, if Mitch Morse is going to say, hey, you know, I have a family now. I have kids. I've had some concussion issues. I haven't heard anything like that. But I think what we're seeing is maybe we're coming up on the end of this particular group of bills. And it's going to be on Brandon Bean to restock the cupboard. And that's almost where I want to start tonight, Luca, is Brandon Bean. Because I think we all agree. We love Brandon Bean. He brought us Josh Allen. He's a cap wizard. He brought us Stefan Diggs. He brought us Von Miller. And he has taken this team that was a laughing stock of the league for 17 years and made them a marquee team in the league. They've been to the divisional round of the playoffs three years in a row. And there's only been one other team in the league the last three years to make it that far. And that's the Kansas City Chiefs. So whether or not we're happy with what happened today, which none of us are, we have to at least understand that for right now, the Bills are an upper echelon team. But the downside is Brandon Bean's draft classes the last four years have left a lot to be desired. He has not drafted a Pro Bowl player the last four years. Say what you want to about the Pro Bowl. But today, in a matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals, down the players we already talked about, Lyle Collins, um, Kappa, Alex Kappa, and then Jonah Williams, and then an injured center also in Karras, the Bills had two first-round picks at Oliver and Greg Rousseau, two second-round picks, Boogie Basham and A.J. Epinesa, some free agent money out there, and Tim settled. Daquan Jones did not play. That is a factor, but let's be realistic. That's not the reason why they lost today. A lot of premium picks were out there for the Bills against backup players for the Bengals, and they got dominated at the line of scrimmage. I love Brandon Bean. This was a bad day for Brandon Bean. This was a bad day for a portion of Brandon Bean's job, 100%. I think what we love about Brandon Bean is certain things, and then you kind of just, I don't want to say we're ignoring them, but you just, you don't want to latch onto his faults and his issues because there is success there that he's had, right? You want to look at the positives. You want to see why Brandon Bean, who is an awesome person, He's a great dude. He's entertaining to listen to when he makes media and, you know, even like Pat McAfee show appearances. He seems like a guy that we could call in on this show and he'd absolutely join in with us on a beer and that'd be all fine and dandy. And then as you pointed out, when it comes to free agency with Von Miller, drawing him in trading for digs, all of those things and working the cap to get those kind of high end pieces in awesome. But then when you peek beyond the curtains and you look to see his, you know, draft record history and stuff, there's a lot of what appears to be misses. And I'm not going to put Russo in this, and I don't think you do either, but your point, your point 
needs to be said with him included on that, where a lot of draft capital has been used in an area that we just watched get manhandled. And it's not even entirely their fault because all 11 on the field on defense, no matter who was out there, was getting destroyed. Like, say what you want about the defensive line needs to keep the linebackers clean for an effective run defense and all that fun and jazz. I don't even need to hear that today and tomorrow and this week and whatever, because Edmonds and Milano were not doing a good job themselves out there whenever they were clean. You know, the secondary and the safeties and everything like there too, they were just in poor positions and not checked in the entire game. It was just a collective disaster and dominance on the Bengals side that, as you pointed out, again, it's backups on the offensive line and it starts there, of course. Your trenches are where every play starts. You have a defensive line and offensive line closest to the ball, closer than anyone else. That's a very vital part of the game. And you, by backups, were absolutely destroyed from start to finish. Opening kickoff, well, technically first play, all the way through. You were destroyed. And that's, it's embarrassing. It's just flat out embarrassing. It's embarrassing, though, to your point, to Bean and his draft capital spent. Because where I say, um, you know, Jerry's still out on Rousseau. And I'm, I'm not thinking of him as even close to a bust yet or anything of that label. Ed Oliver is now approaching that territory. Ed Oliver is now officially approaching something, something you brought up off air. There are four individuals in that same draft that were drafted after him. And at some points significantly after him that you absolutely, if you could do a one-on-one -on -one trade would take over Ed Oliver. And then today watching it, there were moments where I am seeing Ed Oliver be more vertical than a third, third, uh, what you call it? Uh, third lineman, the third string lineman. This guy shouldn't even be on the field, even in an injury crisis. But here he is out there, and he is lower and dominating the push on Ed Oliver, a top 10 pick. That is unacceptable, period. End of story. You are expected to dominate that matchup every time. With that kind of expectation, with the ability of which we have seen, Mr. Thanksgiving, as I called him just months ago, was just, he looked like, you know, I, I'm going to butcher this name right now because I never say it right, but Eli Ankau out there, just a borderline free agent that shouldn't even be on a roster. That is who Ed Oliver looked like as well. I think you would have gotten the exact same production if it was just Eli out there at the same time as Ed Oliver. I really don't think you see much of a difference. I, when I looked at the stats and saw you had a QB hit, was stunned at that. I couldn't even believe Ed Oliver touched Joe Burrow today with what I saw. So, this was a bad look for Bean in his draft world, and I think it's going to – it wouldn't surprise me if you see some changes happen in the front office, not with Bean, of course, but maybe he looks at his – you know, he's he's got a scouting staff, right? There are people he pays and employs to take care of this for him. It's not like Bean is the one going out there, traveling to every college, doing everything with the, you know, collegiate scouting but he's probably looking at his collegiate scouting staff and going, these guys aren't it because what they're advising to me and what they're telling me is here and here and there and everything like that with ranking his skill and talent is just not up to par with what he needs. Because now with this team being in a window where you're not drafting top 10 anymore, you're probably going to be drafting in those twenties from here on out, hopefully barring anything catastrophic, you need to hit on these picks. These picks don't need to be, you know, day one contributors, and of course. But now Ed Oliver was picked years and years ago, and this is when you needed him to step up, and he was just nothing of the sort. 
I hate to solo him out, but he's the he's the shining example of this. He is the crown jewel of being missing right now. Like he is the problem. This is not good. You can't be spending a top 10 pick on a guy who I want out the door. Like I'm not wanting to pay him a dime. If he's willing to take, you know, a vet min at his age, <laughs> cool, but he ain't doing that. So no. I want him out the door. And this is ridiculous that <laughs> that was someone we did spend that top 10 pick on instead of a Christian Wilkins or Quinn and Williams or anyone of that sort. It's that's not good. That's just not good. And, you know, we're aware Quinn and Williams went three at Oliver went right after him. Right. But to Luca's yeah. point, Jeffrey Simmons, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence all went after at Oliver. And I think the consensus is those players, at least to this point, are more effective football players than at Oliver. And that's disappointing. And, you know, also to Luca's point, that is the, really the last premium pick the Bills have had, because ever since then, the Bills have been picking relatively late. But AJ Epinesa, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham need to see more of. I'm with you on Greg Rousseau. I think he's fine. I think he's a starter. I think he's a 10-year starter in this league, and that's probably fine when you get a guy with a 30th pick. But, you know, is he ever going to be that a Pro Bowl-level dominant player? Time will tell. He has the skill set. I think his floor probably is decent um, Robin to a Batman like a Von Miller. And if that's what you get, that's fine. But I think you're just left wanting a little bit more. Let's talk about Sean McDermott, Luca. Um, you made a point to say Brandon Bean's not going anywhere. We both fully agree on that. Um, I feel like we probably need to qualify this Sean McDermott conversation with a he's not going anywhere. Sean McDermott's not on the hot seat. Um, the way he navigated this team through a very tricky season, um, obviously with weather, with the DeMar Hamlin situation, with Dawson Knox's brother situation. I mean, I'd be a hypocrite if I sat here right now saying they should fire Sean McDermott when three weeks ago I was on this show saying like why he should be in candidacy for coach of the year. So that would be, that would feel reactive. I will say Luca, the, what the catastrophe that happened in Houston when the bills were not a Super Bowl contender, they were still you know, wet behind the ears, all of that. The wimpy, wimpy kicks in arrowhead in the AFC championship game against Kansas city. When the bills ended up getting blown out of the building, whatever happened in that 13 seconds, he's the head coach. He has to take accountability for that. And he hasn't given us any answers on that. And then whatever spin you want to put on today's loss to the Bengals, whether you want to say the team wasn't ready to play, you want to say they were out coached, or if you want to say that the players that were on the field aren't good enough, Sean McDermott has his hands in any one of those buckets you want to choose. So I'm asking you, Luca, what, uh, and then I, I guess I should also say he blew another timeout today, which I know you're just such a fan of. Um, <laughs> and uh, there were a couple wimpy kicks in there. I thought there were some times he really should have pushed the issue there and tried to get his team back in the game. And instead he punted and tried to extend the game and his defense couldn't get a stop. Are you at a point with Sean McDermott where you're starting to question if he's the guy that can actually get this team over the hump and get them to the championship? I do question it. I It's definitely one that's valid and I think has enough backing to it that you can make an argument for it i will just say this i think sean mcdermott and you know we've said everything like preface again one more one more time i'm not thinking sean mcdermott's on the hot seat i don't think sean mcdermott gets moved you know I, it would stun both of us if all of a sudden we heard at any point in this offseason that sean mcdermott was terminated like that would be wild um with all that in mind Time to be critical. 
Sean McDermott is the kind of guy that from Monday to Saturday, I honestly find it hard to believe I want anyone else leading this team. But I feel like something happens where Sean McDermott wake up, wakes up Sunday morning and he's just an average to above average coach. And that's when you really want something else. He is the class. What you just said about Gregory Rousseau with, you know, his floor is this. And he, if that's what it is, it's fine. But he leaves you wanting more. That description, let me just control C, control V that right here. That is a copy paste. Sean McDermott is starting to approach that area where it's like, he's fine. I'm okay with this kind of, but you are making me want so much more because I, with this team and Josh Allen and just a couple other things around there, but it's, it's all about 17. Let's be honest. It's all about Josh. You have your crown jewel of the team. You have your face of the franchise. You only have that for so long. And you don't want to waste a second with that. So if anything is holding it back, anything at all, you have to always want more and see if something better for it is there. And Sean McDermott is not quite the, I need to do something with that, but he's starting to be looked at with a, you know, in the peripherals where it's like, maybe Sean McDermott could be something better, like in the sense of someone else being better in that position, because panicking and game management and questionable decision-making. And I will say this, you know, just to put it on air and on the record real quick, the fourth and 10 punt itself, I don't necessarily have a massive issue with. It's a 50-50 thing. If he decided to go either way, which obviously he went with the punt, it is what it is. At that point in time, it just shows me he still thinks he's in that game and he's punting it away late. So be it. Fourth and 10 is a very difficult thing to pick up. It's not exactly like it's, you know, over 50%. The third and 10 decision-making, which might not be entirely him, and the play call that was made, that's where I have a problem with that. And maybe that's where McDermott needs to kind of relay a message to Dorsey, like, hey, keep in mind, if you pick up four yards here, I might be really intrigued to go for it, and so on and so forth. So then Dorsey has a quarterback power up his sleeve that he knows is a very high floor play that hopefully Josh Allen should be able to pick you up four or five yards, and then you can make a decision from there. That's where I have a problem with that one. But that need, I'm not going to put that all on Dorsey. McDermott needs to relay that message. He he has that ability. He you know he needs to have that game sense to him so that he can talk to his coordinators. It's not necessarily you know not trusting your coordinators to do their job appropriately, but everyone needs to be on the same page. And that head coach is part of that, and he's the one driving the ship. So if he gets that message to Dorsey, I guarantee Dorsey trusts him and goes, "Okay, I have something else for this." Because the play call there was clearly to pick up the first down right then and there. And it's like, I bet you if that message was relayed, that is not exactly what we see, hopefully. Now, if that's the case, we got a whole nother discussion here. But regardless, this is a valid question by you. McDermott does have his moments. The timeout is just the epitome to me of, man, you really need to figure out some things on game days. But he's still a good leader of men. He's still a good coach. I just... Don't want it to be the thing that holds 17 in this franchise back from finally achieving the pinnacle. And if it's going to be that, that needs to be something explored sooner rather than later, because kind of going back into your transition period, I think that's very, very valid. That's something that you never notice it until afterwards. As you pointed out with the Packers, that's a great, great example. I don't think the Packers fans felt that they were ever in a transition period until all of a sudden they found themselves in that next window. You went from, you know, the old timers with Brett Favre into this new Aaron Rodgers era. That's obviously a little bit more defined, 
But look at the Rodgers receiving cores and how those ever so changed every three, four years, but then it stuck as a unit there and so on and so forth moving forward. It makes sense, but you don't realize you're in it till then. I need them to recognize that, you know, next year in two years. If we start changing the guard and we start moving into a different core group here with Josh Allen offensively and change the guard a little bit there defensively, I need Bean and ownership to kind of keep an eye on McDermott. And maybe I'm not saying you put him directly on the hot seat, but you need to kind of keep one eye elsewhere and see if there is something that could maybe propel you moving forward. What I'll finish this with is, though, some coaches marinate like five <laughs> marinate a little bit more they need a little bit more time and mcdermott is a first-time coach still technically like this is his first time he's learning on the job and i it's weird because it's not the same philosophy any sort but you had a guy like andy reed back when he was with philly and it just seemed like he was always kind of that thing that was never going to allow philly to get over the line which inevitably became true of course but I don't think anyone questioned Andy Reid being head coach. I think Philly found themselves in that exact spot. They just wanted something different because eventually Andy Reid's going to screw up time management or do one stupid thing in a game that ultimately, unfortunately, will cost them that game. They weren't able to get to a Super Bowl once. They weren't able to win it. And it was just unfortunate game management situations that always got in the way, and that's Andy Reid's fault. Andy Reid eventually became a Super Bowl winning coach, and he is undoubtedly going to be a Hall of Famer. First ballot, I don't know, but he's approaching that level. And it just took him a lot longer time. So coaches, coaches are a really weird thing, Josh. You want to be patient with them, but you also want to diagnose the point in time of which they are eventually stalling out your team. And I think we're right now at that precipice where Bean and the ownership needs to keep an eye on that and make sure that Bean isn't holding this back because the window with Josh Allen is so small and we're not a Philadelphia. We're not a massive market where you can really change things up here. Josh Allen is a crown jewel that I don't think we'll have a green bar green Bay situation where you'll have a protege just ready to go at some point in time. Like this could be a one and only. So you need to be just a tad more aggressive than those larger markets with that. But I'm, you know, I want to throttle it back a little bit and say it's something that maybe is going to finally enter the mind of Brandon Bean. I think it's something that they're going to finally, it's not like they're going to talk to McDermott about it or anything. Maybe they will. They'll be up front and be like, hey, we really are evaluating your job this season a little differently. We're looking at your position in this organization a little differently because we feel like we're starting to stall out a lot stall out a little bit you got to the afc championship you had a you were just 13 seconds away in a divisional round and all of a sudden you've hit this regression now where you just got flat out dominated especially on what you're supposed to be great at on the defensive side of the ball in the divisional round in our own house where you should be able to control a game that is a regression folks it's very small but it's a regression so now you just need to be a little more cautious with mcdermott and just see where it's going from here on next season and maybe the season after that, depending on how that next season goes, because yeah, I think it's, it's a real thing. There could be a ceiling to McDermott that we are kind of at, at this point in time. It's a tough conversation. I am certainly not advocating for firing Sean McDermott. I'm not, but I think you have to ask yourself with any conversation around this entire coaching staff, let's bring it to the entire coaching staff. Is this Bills coaching staff on game days a net positive for this team? And to Luca's point, Sean McDermott is a great leader of people. 
And he has worked his life to be a great people leader. He understands how to reach people, how, how to let them, how to make them trust him. And I think he's a great human being. And I think he's probably a really good football coach. But look at the other team today. The Cincinnati Bengals were without three offensive linemen. I promise this is the last point time I'll mention it because it sounds like a broken record. But Zach Taylor was a net positive for his team today. They went against the Bills defense and did whatever they want while they were shorthanded. Lou Anna, Lou Anna, Amarano, I, I just butchered his name, defensive coordinator for the Bengals. They are down their best cornerback. They're starting Eli Apple and they're starting a rookie in Cam Taylor Britt. They were going against the Bills starting 11 from NFL opening night against the Rams. The 11 Bills starters who started today, if you count slot receiver, were the same 11 that started opening night against the Rams. Not one single player missing. And they held the Bills to 10 points with Eli Apple and a third-round corner against a team that's supposed to specialize in passing the ball. So that coaching staff is a net positive. And what Luca just said is the by far most important point. Perfect wording. Josh Allen is a crown jewel. He's a gift from the football gods. You deserve all the credit in the world for identifying him in the draft, drafting him, and developing him. Congratulations, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. That is something nobody can ever take away from you. But the fact is, you have that now. And you cannot continue to throw away opportunities when he is your quarterback because he is an absolute unicorn. He's a cheat code. He's one of five quarterbacks in the sport that gives your team a head start at the beginning of every single season because you have the most important position figured out. But what I'm starting to wonder about this team, it goes to coaching, it goes to roster management, is is the rest of the team on his level? Or are they just being carried by a great quarterback, and then a couple other great players along the way. Early in the season, it was Von Miller. Stefan Diggs, obviously a great player. Is Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Von Miller making everybody else look really good? I don't know. I, I'm starting to question the talent on this team. And then in a situation like today, when it felt like the Bills had no counterpunch for what the Bengals were doing defensively, and it was basically Ken Dorsey saying, okay, Josh Allen, go figure it out. And that's not just me, Bills fan, saying that. You have people like Ben Solak tweeting that out. You have people from CBS Sports tweeting that out. You have Aaron Schatz tweeting that out. So it's not just me. Colin Cowherd said this was a coaching mismatch of epic proportions today on the national stage. So I'm not advocating for firing Sean McDermott, but I think changes are necessary because like Lucas said, if you just stand pat and expect it to get better without making any changes, chances are you're going to set another season on fire with Josh Allen. And when he goes away, you never know when you're going to get something like this again. And the other knock on Sean McDermott, I understand Josh Allen's a very aggressive football player, and he's just the kind of person that wants to take hits. You are the damn head coach of this team. If you don't want your co your quarterback taking these unnecessary hits in the regular season, you do something about it. You don't just go up to the press conference and go, hey, he's a competitor. Uh, well, you can't, you can't coach that out of him. The hell you can't. He's the most important asset you have on the team. And I need Josh Allen running against the Bengals today in January. I don't need him taking unnecessary hits against the Steelers in September. So let's try to find a way to prolong his career and prolong this window. 
So what I would do this off season, I would look really strongly at replacing Leslie Frazier. And then I would also really look strongly at Ken Dorsey and figure out what's going on with the offense and let Sean McDermott be the CEO head coach and find somebody else to run the defense. And then if you want to say, Hey, Ken Dorsey was a first year offensive coordinator. Statistically, they're on par with Brian Dayball, his last year in Buffalo, yada, yada, yada. Fine. I hear all those conversations. I have two eyes. I see where Brian Dable schemed things open. And this entire season was a lot of Josh Allen pulling things out of his rear end and Stefan Diggs making incredible plays and making it up as they go along. I don't think it's apples to apples with Dorsey and Dable. I think if you let Dorsey go tomorrow, there's a very good chance that whoever you bring in, even if it's just promoting Joe Brady, you could get similar results. I don't want to sit idly by and just run it back with the same coaching staff. It's not time to fire Sean McDermott, but it is time to tell him the expectations are here. You got us here, but now this is where the expectations are. You set the bar here. And what happened today was unacceptable and it needs to get better because the last thing we need is to find ourselves back in January, getting completely outcoached by another elite head coaching staff. Yeah. And and kind of to jump on it, and this is not jumping on McDermott as a person. It's not jumping on it. And let me just, again, I am not advocating to fire McDermott. I think McDermott is still the right man for this job next season when we kick off the 2023 season. Let me just write that in pen, ink, sign it, wax seal. He is going to be the guy. That's okay with me. But what I saw today And just to jump on what you said, and I said this to you off air, and this seems like the perfect time. You have a team across from you, right over there with Zach Taylor, Joe Shiesty, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and then everyone on that defensive side of the ball playing with a chip on their shoulder with wherever they got that motivation for is secondary. And they're playing with confidence and swag, and they're punching you in the mouth. And what I don't need is a bunch of soldiers that are just following the process and keeping their emotions in check and just just playing within the system and stuff. This is the type of game that, you know, you saw Josh Allen immediately get in a dude's face after running in the end zone. And I want to watch my guys do that. I want them to feel confident and feel like they belong on that field with those guys who are punching them in the mouth because the reality is we have Josh Allen, so we should have a team around him that can also do that. And that is where maybe things aren't to par, but I don't want to sit there and watch a product because of McDermott and what he's done to this team that is just accepting the fact that you're getting punched and smacked in the face and you're just like, keep with the system, keep doing what we're doing. Those are good men out there. I think, you know, in his press conference right after the game, I commend him for these comments and I respect this mindset, but it's kind of where I don't want this team to be next season you know, at this point in time. And he said, those guys should feel good about themselves as men going home and stuff like that. And that's all great. That's fine. They just got smacked up and down the field. They got dominated every single play, no matter what unit was on the field. The people with the striped helmets were kicking our ass. And the fact is, I don't want my head coach telling these guys, you're good men. I need him getting something out of them that makes them feel like they want to get in that fist fight and get out of this because outside of Josh Allen. And honestly, in my opinion, which is very polarizing, I think Diggs was on par with that where he is yelling at Josh Allen, even being like, throw me the effing ball and stuff of that nature. I want that. 
I need energy. You need these guys feeling like they want to do something and take over this game because they believe they are the better team on the field. Whether that's the reality of it or not is secondary to this point. You have to emotionally and just think that you are ready to take on any opponent across from you because you have 17 next to you. And I don't like this whole warrior, you know, ground, just we're good men. We're doing the right thing mentality anymore. I want a guy who's going to inspire greater things. I want my head coach to tell these guys, hey, bottom line is you're better than every MF or over there. I want you to show them what I've taught you for the past six months. I want you to show them physically what I have preached to you for the past six months. These guys aren't allowed to do exactly what they're showing you right now or what they think they want to do to you. Kick their bleep. Bottom line, that's what I want out of McDermott. And I don't think he does that. Whether that's ever going to come, I don't know. But I think to your point, that needs to be a message or a standard given from Bean and everyone in the front office like, hey, McDermott. You have put the bar here, as you just said perfectly. You have now raised the bar, and you are coming well short of that bar at this point in time. I need you to change something to get to that bar now. Get to that level. And you need to elevate your game so that everyone else on the field can elevate theirs because it's just unacceptable right now. And that 60-minute of football was just embarrassing and unacceptable for the standards that have been set by him himself. And that is ultimately where I have a problem with McDermott. When you get to this point of the playoffs, the advantage that you experience most weeks throughout the regular season, having a huge advantage at quarterback, having more talent across the board than the other team, which we thought the Bills had, goes away. Every team is talented. Every team, for the most part, this deep in the playoffs has a very good quarterback. It's hard to make it this deep unless you just have a freakishly loaded roster like the San Francisco 49ers and an elite play caller like Kyle Shanahan. You're going to run into Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, and that's not even to mention Lamar Jackson. And if Tua comes back, you know, and Justin Herbert's lingering there like this, it's not going to get easier. That's the other thing. It's only going to get more difficult. And that's where you need your coaching staff to give you an edge. And one other thing McDermott has working against him, and this is really unfair. He's a defensive coach. If you're building your team around your quarterback, ideally you want an offensive-minded coach because when your team has success and they start plucking your coordinators, your offensive scheme still stays the same with Josh Allen as opposed to what we saw this year. Brian Dayball's gone. There's a new voice in his ear. It's Ken Dorsey, a little bit of transition, and everybody's like trying to learn again a new system that's kind of similar to the old one. The Dorsey thing kind of bothers me, and I understand the statistics. Everything was fairly similar to Dayball, but this felt to me a little bit like it's not show friends. It's show business. I understand you wanted to respect Josh Allen and give the head coach or the offensive coordinator job to somebody he was comfortable with. And if you want to say it worked out great, because I heard Josh Allen say this in his post-game press conference, statistically they were on par with where they were in 2021. Fine. And if that's what Josh Allen wants, at some point I need to step back and just accept it because he is the most important person here. But it shouldn't just be that. There is a line of coaches a mile long that would love the chance to coach Josh Allen and could come up with very creative ways to use his unique skill set. One of the best arms we've ever seen in the sport. One of the best runners at the quarterback position we've ever seen in the sport. Big. 
physical, just a toolbox of attributes. And there's times they drop back and it's like, they're just making it up as they go along and it doesn't make sense. And then you start thinking about like some of the plays that the chiefs draw up or some of the plays that even the Bengals draw up, or you watch the San Francisco 49ers and it's like, they're playing a different sport and they have a seventh round pick at quarterback and their offense looks way more imaginative than ours. So I understand there's a talent gap with the receivers they have there, but I just want to see the bills make a more concentrated effort to find a way to elevate the scheme to help this team have an edge in January. All right, Luca, we've talked about the coaching staff. We've talked about Josh Allen. Let's talk a little bit about Stefan Diggs because there was a moment today where he had a sideline altercation. If you want to call it, he was very frustrated. I think we were all frustrated. Um, the CBS camera crew caught a shot of what looked like him yelling at Josh Allen, waving his arms. It's really hard to judge these situations because the only context we have is what the camera shows. You don't really know what went on before that or after that. I mean, for it's a, usually like a five second shot. And for all you know, right before the camera went down there, Diggs could have been saying like, hey, I was open. And, and Josh is like, huh? And then he looks over and Diggs is just kind of like mimicking the route. And it looks like he's screaming at Josh Allen. You just don't know. But I will say, Luca, this has been a trend this year, uh, dating back maybe to the Cleveland Browns game in Detroit. And then the next week in Detroit, I was in the stands and saw it happening, happening myself. Diggs going up and down the sideline. You saw it in Chicago. You saw it against Miami. Uh, you saw it last week against Miami. And then you saw it again this week, a trend of Diggs being visibly upset on the sidelines. I think he's a superstar. he's if he's not the most talented player on the roster it's because josh allen is but he's right there in the conversation he's one of the best players in the sport he demands excellence out of himself and players like that demand the same out of their teammates and when things are going south and he can feel it he wears his emotions on the sleeve and i don't want to take that away from him end of sentence i don't know that it's always a net positive and in that scenario it felt like things were really going wrong and the moment that Diggs was doing it, the game already felt over. And it felt to me like he was showing up Josh Allen. That's just me. And I love Stefan Diggs. I love what he brings to the team. But in that moment today, it, it didn't it didn't sit well with me like the other times this season. And I, I'll just be honest. It bothered me a little bit. Not a lot. Just a little bit. Where do you sit on this? I'm okay with it. I, I have no qualms. These are professionals. They understand the game sense. The players themselves have a feel of the game better than anyone else, better than any coach, better than anyone sitting in the stands, better than anyone standing on the TV. And, you know, you have the opinion, and maybe they did have a sense like it's over, but there's still minutes and seconds on that clock. The game is still happening, and I'm okay with Diggs in any fiery way possible getting a message across to his guy because the context of this all matters, everything. And as you pointed it out perfectly, we don't know what led before it. We don't know what came of it afterwards. You just see the moment of which they put on television. But never forget the two people involved in this. This is Stefan Diggs. This is Josh Allen. If you're not watching a clip right now, Josh has a portrait right behind him that is literally Josh Allen and Diggs locking arms. There's a reason that that image, like a lot of other ones, exist. Allen and Diggs are very tight. They're very close. They're El Simpatico a lot. They have a similar energy to them that they are boys. Boys fight. You get in arguments with your boys all the time. 
that's okay. You're just driving a message across. This is not diva nature. And by the way, I am very okay with my receivers being divas. The receivers I have grown up to love that dominate the sport, other than my personal favorite, Larry Fitzgerald, very class act. But other than him, the outlier, they are all divas. They want the ball. And even Larry Fitzgerald behind the scenes has been documented in saying to Kurt Warner and others, I want the bleeping ball now. And then it takes a Kurt Warner or someone being like, hey, kid, I'm doing my job. You do yours. Something of that nature. But that's the thing. They all want the ball, but they're good enough. As you pointed out with Diggs specifically, they are good enough that they are high end talent in this league and they just feel like they can take over at any point in time. And that's okay with me if he's just demanding something better from others around him so that he can contribute in whatever way. And I think by him getting emotional and getting in the faces of others, especially Josh Allen, there's no negative to me. That's just what he feels, especially with his boy, is needed in that moment of time, whether it's for that game or something to even look back to now and be like, I never want to feel that way about you ever again. I never want to have that conversation ever again. I never want to feel like I need to scream whatever it is at you ever again. And we need to do something differently to make sure that never happens again. Whatever it may be, I have no problem with that attitude. I have no problem with Diggs feeling like he is better than someone because he probably is. And then on top of it, if he heard McDermott out, he heard that McDermott even confirmed that he was in the locker room post game. He heard McDermott's words and everything like that. And then reports came out that he stormed out and had to be reeled in and then stormed out again. That's cool with me. Guess what? I would probably a hard on the sleeve kind of guy. And I can feel that because I am somewhat similar to that. It's so hard to control yourself. You need to get yourself out of the situation, out of the environment. You need to pull yourself away. And at that point in time, that's probably where Diggs' headspace was after the game. And then in the game, when it feels like it's over, you just need to get something out. And if all of anyone on that sideline, if he needed to get something out, Josh, I think Josh Allen's that guy. Because as I pointed out in the beginning of this point, they are tight. They are very good boys. If you need to get something out, of all the people to understand that, I bet you Josh Allen's that guy. He can be that pseudo therapist for him. If you want to call him that he can be the dude to vent his frustrations to. And I think I, I can't recall the video clip exactly because of course you're more focused on digs with his arms up or whatever you want to call it and stuff. But even Allen looked up real quick and I saw like a hand gesture. I want to even say like it was a thumbs up and he heard him. And I think that's the reaction I would expect out of something of what I'm talking about. It's just Josh Allen hearing him out as one of his boys and understanding where Diggs is coming from in that moment. I am very okay with this. I don't want this to blow up. I don't think people need to fret about this. It's a trend, as you pointed out, that had been happening previously, and it, it wasn't always to Josh Allen. It was to McDermott. It was to others. And I think that's an extension of other issues at hand. And I think that's more pointed at individuals calling plays and where targets and where it feels like game flow is going. And that might not be going to 14 as much as his liking. And I might agree with him in some sense. I think there might be problems with that, that maybe an individual that I am not going to put a name on is not utilizing his best weapons enough and not doing the best things he needs to do with this offense by putting the ball in the hand. Because another great question is, and I asked you this off air, and I think it's a great place to bring it up outside of Josh Allen in the open field. I want the ball in Diggs's hand next. I would put Josh Allen first. And that's a whole other, you know, can of worms that we could get into if we really, really wanted to. 
But outside of Allen, I want the ball in Diggs' hands as much as possible. And it just seemed like there wasn't enough of a conceded effort to make that possible. I know the targets are there, so people might point that out statistically. But you cannot watch that game today, and you cannot definitely watch that game, you know, the Browns that you pointed up, the Lions game, things like that, and tell me that there was any sort of conceded effort to get him the ball. Because especially when the game started going south today, I think he got maybe one target. And it's like that, you can't do that. You need to go to him. I don't care if he's double covered. He will try to do something to make it open for him. I guarantee that. There is no way Diggs cares if he's doubled. He will get open for Josh Allen however he can. And that's okay. Make it possible for him. Get him some looks. It's just, you got to get him the ball. When Justin Jefferson said today or th- this season that he sees why Cooper cup gets so many catches in the Rams offense, because they brought over obviously the Rams offensive coordinator to be their head coach. He's like, I see now why Cooper cup gets all these targets. And then you see Justin Jefferson go out and have the season he had. And you just see how the focal point of those offenses week after week after week is that number one receiver. And Diggs had a great season. Like we're not knocking the fact Diggs obviously had a very fantastic season. But when you look down the stretch of the season, he had a game where he had 26 yards against Chicago, 37 yards against the Jets, 60 yards against Miami. He had one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row where he didn't get over 100 yards. It's not enough. And it certainly isn't a digs issue. It's not like there's elite other mouths to feed on this offense. If anything, they should be forcing the ball to digs. And today the bills are trailing by multiple scores for the majority of the afternoon and their entire season is on the line. And Stefan Diggs has four receptions for 35 yards. Unacceptable, just unacceptable. I understand his frustration. There's a part of me that wonders when you look at the three years that Diggs has been here and the group of wide receivers they had his first year, you had Cole Beasley playing at his best level. You had John Brown still playing at a very high level veterans in the room where Stefan Diggs maybe felt like one of them. And then the next year they bring in Emmanuel Sanders, who is just a respected player by all receivers in the league. You still had Beasley. And then this year when the season starts, it's Diggs. And then Davis, and then it's like McKenzie, Hodgins, Shakir. Diggs is now not only the alpha in the room, the grown-up in the room. And that's a different dynamic. And I wonder if some of these situations, if not having an Emmanuel Sanders on the sideline to kind of reel him in or to talk to or to vent to in that situation, a guy who's been a number one at points in his career that Diggs can lean on, By the time Beasley and Brown came back, I think it was too far gone for those guys to have those roles again. Diggs had already been here for three months, establishing himself as the veteran, the alpha, and the adult in the room. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where you just wonder why. And I do, as much as Josh Allen clearly backs Dorsey, if you're right, Luca, and Diggs' frustration is with Dorsey, that needs to be accounted for. Because you have this number one alpha wide receiver who has great rapport with the quarterback and he doesn't like the play caller if that's what we're surmising this to be. And that to me is enough to warrant a change. 
I think Josh Allen has proven that he will get along with anybody you put in a room with him. You've seen like Davis Webb go and Mitch Trubisky go, and he's just fine. Like him and Case Keenum now are like best friends and Matt Barkley and them are best friends. He's Josh Allen is fine. He, he can get along with anybody. And I, I think the fact that he knew Ken Dorsey is what made Ken Dorsey the best man for the job was short-sighted. And the bills need to be really aggressive this off season, I think, in trying to up, upgrade the offensive coordinator position uh, we do know that Ken Dorsey interviewed for the Carolina Panthers head coaching job. It does not sound like he's necessarily the front runner for that job, although people have been dropping out of that job. So who knows? Maybe he'll get that job by default. But I'll be very interested to see what happens on that side of the ball. Luca, if you had to make your choice that the Bills replace replace either Dorsey or Frazier, where would you land? Oh, you can't have both. <laughs> I mean... Can we have that conversation? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I, my, we can have my, any conversation. We're just yeah, sitting my, here at the bar. My answer is both. <laughs> yeah, my, my if you are putting a gun to my head, if I'm Brandon Bean, or I'm GM Matt Lukashevitz. Oh, that's my name. Awkward. Uh, <laughs> if I am the GM and you put a gun to my head and you're like, you have to make a decision right now how you want to handle both coordinator coordinators, I'm firing them both. I guess McDermott in this case because he's most likely making that decision. But still, I'm firing them both. It's it's unacceptable what I saw on both sides of the ball. And I don't think firing Frazier. So if I had to do one or other, by the way, I am leaning Dorsey. But I don't think firing Frazier will make a drastic a difference because, as you pointed out in the McDermott segment of all of this, it's like he's going to want to do something that he's familiar with. He it, just as you pointed out, when your you know, coordinators get plucked for jobs and you're an offensive mind, that system stays there. Same probably applies for a defense in some capacity, of course. So there's going to be a similar style-ish to the defense that then you just bring in another guy and most likely McDermott brings in, I'm not being insulting in this, but kind of a puppet-like person that he can instill that style system to him and then they just implement together with ideas and bounce them back however they do it and make that happen on defense. So I don't think the change would be as drastic with a Frazier firing, but I think what we saw today absolutely warrants it. But with Dorsey, I really go all the way back to the bye week. That's how far I pull this back. I pull it even previous to the games that you discussed about with Diggs. I pull it all the way to the bye week. And then it's that Sunday night game against green Bay, which the first half went first half went great and everything was perfect. And then you go to that halftime, and from that point on, Josh, this offense went to a full-on, and honestly, I believe this, and if you, if anyone feels differently, that's fine. This is just my own opinion. From that point on, from that halftime, and even it probably was that game in its entirety, but the first half was just so excellent that it's disguised by everything working. From that halftime on, this offense was exactly what those national media people were thinking this game was and what it felt like. It's just, Josh, go out there and make a play. Alan, we need you to do these things. There's no scheming. There's no design plays to a certain individual. You're not, you know, scheming digs open at times. Anything creative in that sense. It's just, hey, 17, go out there and make a play. Go make things happen. And that we're talking right now about week eight. like. That's insane. We're sitting here in late January and I'm pulling back my issues with an offensive coordinator all the way to back to week eight. 
And that to me is enough. <laughs> if you want, like, it's a first time caller and you're learning on the job and stuff. But if I am pulling that much from Halloween weekend all the way to January 22nd, and I mean, that's for all of intents and purposes, that's three months of just data. That's three months of proof that what you're doing is not creative enough. It's not good enough for utilizing Josh Allen. And it's definitely not good enough to getting digs your best weapon outside of Josh Allen, the ball in certain situations. And at a certain volume, you need to be moved on from. You have to just, that's just not good enough. Bottom line. And especially when you start hearing that, you know, the jets are asking to interview Joe Brady for an offensive coordinator job. If it comes to it, like if it really came to it, I would be like, Dorsey, you're gone. I'm now going to be like, Hey, Joe Brady, we're going to make you OC. And then you kind of do the same thing where now you go out there and see what creative minds in the college ranks, whatever you might like that can spice up and change this offense. Maybe Joe Brady has a guy he really likes that can really change this offense to a dynamic that he likes. And to me, that's almost, it's like a fallback plan, I guess, in a way, because Joe Brady, it sounds like he likes it in Buffalo and it kind of unfortunately goes into what you didn't like where it's like, Oh, it's short-sighted. You're just going with a guy that Josh likes, but Joe Brady could potentially bring something different because we've seen him with a successful offense elsewhere. And unfortunately what it, it seems like didn't work out in Carolina, not because of all him himself, Matt rule just seemed to, well, for do I have to say it ruled over him? Um, so you had it, to say it, you had to say it. So the Joe Brady idea is just, it's teasing enough in-house on top of just the Dorsey offense leaving you wanting more that it just, look, I think Dorsey as a human is fascinating. I think he, he's a hard on sleeve and Josh loves him, but it's like we're in a window and we have an opportunity with this team that you are just not good enough with. Go find your footing elsewhere. Go figure it out somewhere else. It's just not to the standard that we need here in Buffalo. And it's nothing against you as a person. We hope your career advances to a point where you can find success. We just don't think it will be good enough here at this point in time. It's kind of like the philosophy of we don't have time as you of being a draft pick to develop for this team. We need to go out and find a better free agent to fill your position because what you provide us is just not good enough. That's the bottom line. That's how it is. So would I fire both def uh, both coordinators? Absolutely. But if I had to lean one, it's definitely Dorsey. Like you just, you cannot have the production. And I don't, you know, you've brought it up a couple times this one. And I just want to say, because you've done it during midpoints and stuff. I don't give a flying F if the statistics show me this offense was the same as the other. The number one thing I go with, because we love on our Twitter account, and obviously you drive that mainly, but we love on our Twitter account and we do it off air and stuff to look at PFF and all that stuff and look at data, look at stats and all those things. I don't trust any of that over my own eye test. I have watched football enough in my life to at least know what looks good and what doesn't look so good. Like I would hope for the obsession that I've had in over my years to understand this offense doesn't look really good. And this offense looks really fun, right? And you see that, as you pointed out, with San Fran, which just hurts me to say. You see it with the Rams, which just really hurts me to say. And things like that. And then I'm watching this Josh Allen-led offense and going, why the F is it just schoolyard bullshit 
out there with Josh Allen at the helm, trying to find a dude down there. And just, it's not working. Like that's, that is, I can't accept that. If there's one, two, three, four, five different teams out there that can have, you know, subpar quarterbacks and elevate them because of the scheme. I want something that will then take an elite quarterback and bring it over the top like a Mahomes and even like a Joe Burrow, because it is possible. And we see it right in front of us, especially today. And what we see out of Dorsey is just flat out unacceptable. I tell you, you, we talked a lot about Dorsey. I want to have a Frazier conversation real quick before we get back to Dorsey. When you look at Mike Tomlin, I think he's a good comp to Sean McDermott, at least from like where they started as coaches. Mike Tomlin was hired by the Steelers in 2007, and he had a defensive background, and they won the Super Bowl in 2008, and they had the best defense in the league. Do you know who Mike Tomlin's defensive coordinator was, Luca? Defensive coordinator when he yeah. first started. Yeah. Um, Ooh, that's a good question. Cause I, I think I know the offensive coordinator, but I don't know the defensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator uh, is Dick LeBeau who um, ran a completely different scheme than what Tomlin, what Tomlin ran in Minnesota where Tomlin was more of a Tampa two background and Dick LeBeau ran the Blitzburg three, four defense. And where I'm going with that is, Leslie Frazier has basically been running Sean McDermott's defense since he came over um, since Sean McDermott came over as head coach from Carolina. And I think whether you want to blame Frazier, whether you want to blame McDermott, I think right now the scheme has kind of run its course. Uh, whether you want to say it's because Poyer's probably gone. Um, we're not, it, this scheme is very reliant on winning with four man pressure. And when Von Miller went out, that just did not happen. Um, undersized defensive linemen on the interior and they're not winning. Um, they, they don't play a lot of man and it's, it's been more of a zone and you're seeing the good quarterbacks are just eating up the zone. I think when you look at it and Jordan Poyer, probably gone. Okay. Von Miller, not back until mid season next year. Uh, you have a lot of things in flux right now. You have this first round pick in Kyrie Elam, who really was more of a man corner than his own corner when he was in college at Florida. I think this is as good of an opportunity as there has been in the McDermott era that if you do move on from Frazier and you want to change up the scheme, like, let me just throw a name out to you. Vic Fangio. Ooh. Coached Von Miller in Denver. Mm -hmm. Von Miller, we both know, is much more of an outside linebacker rush stand up than put his hand in the dirt. They play more man. And I just, I just wonder if this defense needs more of a shakeup. And then what does that do for McDermott? It frees up McDermott on game day to be the CEO, to run the team, to focus more on situations and let Fangio run the defense. You're not demoting yourself as defensive coordinator. You are still a mind in that room. And then think about the knowledge you have of your defense and what Vic Fangio has with his defense, you meld them together. And if there is a day that's going on where Fangio is getting schooled by whatever offense you're going against, McDermott can say, Hey, let me take a couple drives. I'll mix it up with my scheme. We'll see what happens. I think this entire defensive scheme needs an overhaul because right now it's getting to a point where they get deep enough in January and they can't stop the good teams. And it's not because Von Miller wasn't here. We saw last year they were fully healthy outside of Tredavious White and the Chiefs scored over 40. So this defense, I think, has been maxed out. 
offensively back. Uh, and I, I want you to comment. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just pause there before I get back to Dorsey. What, what do you no, think no, no. about that particular keep going? Keep going? Okay. I think, yeah. Keep going. Go to the offensive side. Okay. Kick it over to me after you get to that point. Offensively. I feel like Sean McDermott, when he got the job as Bill's head coach, there was a very, very easy in-house candidate that a lot of us thought was going to get that job in Anthony Lynn. He was the interim coach that took over for Rex Ryan when Rex Ryan was fired. Um, it, it was a seamless transition. It really felt like as long as he didn't blow the interview, he was going to get the job. And then they went out and did the interviews and McDermott won over the Pagulas. And here we are. I feel like by just promoting Dorsey to head coach last year, they went against the process that allowed them to find Sean McDermott. They didn't cast a wide net and then see if Dorsey really truly is the best candidate. They were like, well, Josh wants Dorsey. We know Dorsey. This is, oh, the Giants apparently want Dorsey. So why don't we just bump up his salary, call him the offensive coordinator and call it a day. And I, I just don't like that. I feel like I understand that part of what the bills like to do is to grow, promote, like think about what they want to do with their draft picks. Like they want to draft, develop and keep. And you look at guys like Taron Johnson and Saran Neal, even as a special teams ace and Matt Milano and what you think is probably going to happen with Tremaine Edmonds. And you've seen it with Tredavious white and Josh Allen. Like they like that. But at some point, just because they've been in your system doesn't mean they're the best candidate. And sometimes you need to go outside the building, outside the organization to really maximize what's happening inside the building, get some fresh ideas in the building and not just students of the ideas that haven't been successful. So if they move on from Dorsey, I love the Joe Brady idea. I don't love the idea of just saying, Hey, Joe Brady, this is your job. I want it to be, Hey, Joe Brady, you get an interview but so does persons X, Y, and Z get an interview. I know the hot name is Frank Reich because he once led a 34 point or 32 point comeback and beat the Oilers in the 92 wildcard game. I get it, but there's probably better ideas out there than Frank Reich. Maybe not. I just want to see the bills. If they move on from Dorsey to cast a wide net. And that's, that's where I'm at with both sides of the ball right now. Um, Vic Fangio is a great poll. I think that's a hot name that we've even seen on social media everywhere. Of course, you also mentioned Frank Reich. I think your point about Frank Reich is not invalid on like the general fan. What I will rebuttal it with, or just at least like kind of pump the brakes on that kind of like, that's it. Look, he has shown as a coordinator, what he can do with a big, strong armed quarterback and have great success with it. I mean, we saw that in Philly and the hopes were he was going to do that in Indy and it just didn't work out. And maybe that's just more so of Frank Wright can't handle a head coaching plate more so than just his offense, because at times the offense still was something of productive. It's just you had a Matt Ryan or just two sprains Carson Wentz out there doing Lord knows what <laughs> with the ball. So it's just like, I don't think what we saw in Indy is something to value Frank Rick or devalue him. I think what you pull from is if you bring a guy like him, you expect something in the mindset similar to what he brought in Philly and the success there. And that's very valid. I think that's where my head goes, why I look at that as an outside candidate, but to now pull it back a little bit, your point about casting a net and looking outside is so spot on. Like that's so good and needs to be said in something that 
unfortunately, I think even us as content creators got caught up in a little bit. We were just like, that's what they're going to do. And we're okay with it because Josh likes it. It's like, well, no, maybe Josh doesn't know what's best for him. Maybe Josh Allen needs to have someone to tell him, no, we need to do this right. So we know what's best for you. And we know how to maximize your output or maybe find something that's better for you. And I think Josh is the kind of guy who can fully understand that. Like if McDermott and Bean and the Pagulas or whoever else gets involved and like, hey, Josh, we let Dorsey go. We're not just going to promote Joe Brady here. We are going to just cast an entire net out there and interview Frank Reich and Bill O'Brien and all these different names, Jim Caldwell. Like you see these names out there and it's like, they're going to interview all these dudes and they're going to just evaluate it all and figure out who the best man for the job is. That's probably going to lead to a much more successful thing. And we hope you can understand that. I would imagine Josh Allen is very on board with that because ultimately what's at mind here is doing what's best for Josh Allen. This is not, you know, we're trying to appease him and make him happy anymore. We're trying to now, even if it's something you don't necessarily like in the moment, do what's best for you. I don't want to eat cauliflower bites. I want to eat chicken wings. But the bottom of the line is I got a wedding coming up in five months and I need to lose some pounds here. So the wings are going to have to wait a little bit. And unfortunately, that means I eat some cauliflower bites. The mind is in the right place. I may not like it at the time, but I'm going to love the end result when it comes to June. Does that make sense? And I think that's what they need to do with Josh Allen. They need to just sit him down and be like, look, we don't like what Dorsey was doing for you. It's nothing against him as a person, but we're going to move on from him and we're going to cast this wide net and we're going to see what's out there and then come back to you even and make him part of the process because of course his input matters in this. And then collectively we will decide on what's best moving forward for 17 and this organization and hopefully not plateau and get moving back in an upward direction and get to where this team should be able to get to. So that's where I'm at with offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. I'm with you. The scheme has run its course. Personnel is about to change. Poyer is gone for all of intents and purposes. Good. I don't, sorry. <laughs> I literally said that. And I'm like, I don't mean it that way. I love Poyer. I th he's, a, he's fun to listen to as well. I think him as a person is great. And what he's done for this team is great. And where he came from to now Go get your bag. Go go do what you got to do. Go do what you need to do business-wise. Do what's right for you. I am okay with that not being in Buffalo anymore. I think it's a good time to move on for both him and us. And then there's other hard decisions or harder-ish decisions that probably need to be made to be moved on from, and that's okay. And then, yes, you're spot on. This is a great time to maybe explore a different look and then maybe even try to, as you pointed out, Get a scheme that Von Miller, your crown jewel on defense, essentially for all intents and purposes, can excel at even more so because he's familiar with it. And then he can even be that secondary teacher to everyone else around him. And maybe, maybe for everything I just said about an Ed Oliver or something like that, it unlocks something else with them. Because what if they weren't meant to be in a scheme like this and they can't be dependent on that? But all of a sudden you go to this three, four, you know, man blitzing or even mixing and zone blitzing and all that kind of stuff unlocks another level of Ed Oliver or something like that. And you turn that bust into someone that you can get at a good value now because 
you're not going to get him at, you know, he's not going to be able to demand high wages, but you value him at what he is asking for because he finally has a good season. Something like that could happen just because you change something up and it no longer feels stale. It no longer feels like this defense is just living in a world that it just can't stop a nosebleed in a game where you really need it. It's, you know, Vic Fangio could be a great ad. I think that's a great name. But even outside of Vic Fangio, I can't think of a name off the top of my head for a defensive coordinator out there. I'm not really out there paying attention to defenses all the time. But um, I, I I think that's a great point. I think just it's stale. Like for, for lack of anything else, it's just stale. I feel like that's how I feel about this defense. It's uninspiring. It's stale. And almost in a way, I bet you teams are starting to really figure things out. And if you're not having your perfect game defensively and everyone's not 100%, you will get chewed up and eaten alive or punched in the face like what Cincinnati just did today. When you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, you need to build your team identity around your offense. And where I envision this team going, and we have an entire offseason to talk about that, which unfortunately begins today, um, I would inv- I would like for the Bills to be spending their premium assets on building around Josh Allen. So he has a better tackle on his right side than Spencer Brown. So he has a better number two wide receiver than Gabe Davis. So they have a better running game than what they've had running behind guys like Roger Saffold and then Ryan Bates, who even struggled today. Um, I would like to see the offense be what drives this team. And with, with a salary cap, if you're going to put assets on one side of the ball, it means you have to take assets from the other. And that's where I would like to see a defensive coordinator come in and shake things up, understanding that we're not going to be drafting defensive linemen every year in the first and second round like we have been doing. We're not going to be having uh, the highest paid safety tandem in the league like we have been having. We're not going to have one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league like we have had. We're not going to have one of the highest paid linebacker duos like we have had. The, The shift of assets needs to go to the offense because all these assets they have poured into the defense. The offense scored 10 points today. That is not lost on me. But all these assets they've poured into the defense has not added up to a hill of beans when it comes to getting into January and slowing down the elite offenses. So I think we need to see a reprioritization on this offense and then have a new mind in defense that allows for them to not necessarily have premium assets at each position, but still have success. The other name I just thought of too, by the way, just real quick, because I, I know we're about to move on here, but an idea just popped in my head because it's similar to the Vic Fangio concept. Uh, Vance Joseph might be on the market and Vance Joseph would also probably bring a change similar to a Vic Fangio. Um, and what he was able to achieve in Arizona at times was honestly way more success than they should have with personnel and stuff. And I think it's similar in the mindset of you get that three, four back in there. You're going to do different things. Just another name to keep on mind, because of course Cliff's gone that, that whole thing's getting blown up. He's done some good things for them. And then also there is some familiarity there with Von Miller, the person, I don't know if they got along or not. I don't know what the whole thing was there dynamic wise, but that could be another name just out there. Just throwing it out real quick. You know how it goes. If McDermott fires Frazier, he's going to be looked at as a guy who made Frazier his scapegoat because that's his side of the ball. It'd be, it'd be just like Sean McVay firing his offensive coordinator. It's like, Oh, well you're the one calling plays dude. And we know Frazier calls the plays on defense, but from a national perspective, do you think that would be a bad look for Sean McDermott? Or are we at the point in this rebuild where we can't worry about next day headlines? We have to do what's best for the team. 
Oh, so this is this question goes beyond this. This I love this. I didn't even realize you're going to bring up this question. I want a conceded effort out of this team organization, and I would love if even us as fans would do this. Who gives a shit about what the national media says? Who cares what anyone outside of your own mind thinks about this team? I don't care if Sims is coming to visit his boy Blue. I don't care if we have two Sunday night games and we get to have the NBC crew here and Chris Collinsworth needs to talk nice about Josh Allen. I don't give a flying F about any of that. And I want this team to be in that mindset because the one thing I always wonder about Josh with this season, kind of to put it on a season, is they finally got something which was huge attention and expectations from media, fans, and everyone. And of course, in the preseason, where you probably see the most attention because it's not you're not dealing with a week-by-week schedule of the regular season. The preseason, they're preseason Super Bowl favorites. They're looked at as one of these high ends. They have Josh Allen, who is a very marketable person and everything like that. Like There's so much about the Bills in the preseason, offseason time that there's a lot of attention, a lot of outside national media coming in, wanting to talk to this team, pump them up, all that stuff. I'm not saying they need to kind of build a moat in a castle to keep everyone out and stuff, but I want a conceited effort. I want them to go into it now where you make decisions on what you think is best for the team and you believe it. I don't care what anyone else says. If, you know, firing Dorsey and Frazier is the way you need to go because you believe that is what's going to ultimately avoid the plateau of this team and the success and you can elevate it with someone else, do it. Who cares if Chris... You know, uh, you know, who cares if on the herd, you know, you got him telling you, oh, well, this is why McDermott was the seventh best coach in the divisional round and stuff. And now he just used a scapegoat. Who gives a shit? I don't care who says what about this. If McDermott believes that's what needs to happen, make it happen. Be firm. Have a backbone. Just do it. Who effing cares? I don't care about the outside noise. Just do it. So disappointing into the season, the bills lose by multiple scores for the first time since November of 2021, when they got boat raced by the Colts in Buffalo. Luca, maybe the last topic we get into tonight, we'll see if we keep going. Well, uh, you know, we're kind of here, we're venting probably like a lot of you, but there's a part of me that wonders if we should have seen this coming. And I say that because when you look at the Bills' schedule, they finished 13 and three, which obviously is fantastic. They finished the regular season on a seven-game winning streak. And if you factor in last week against Miami, it was an eight-game winning streak. And that's just nothing that you can sneeze at in the NFL. It's hard to win football games in this league. But you mentioned the bye week as kind of a, a, a line of demarcation and even specifically halftime of that Green Bay game when you started to see some things happen where Josh Allen was getting more careless with the ball. And they ended up winning that game against Green Bay by 10 points. Green Bay was not a good football team, didn't make the playoffs. The next week they go to the Jets. They lose by three points. The Jets did not make the playoffs. Then they lose that crazy game to the Vikings. The Vikings made the playoffs, but immediately got exposed as a team that shouldn't have been there. They win a one-score game against Cleveland. Cleveland didn't make the playoffs. They struggled against Detroit, a one-score game. Detroit didn't make the playoffs. They came back and beat New England pretty good in Foxborough by 14 come back and beat the Jets by eight who are playing with their backup quarterback, Mike White, and obviously didn't make the playoffs. They beat the Dolphins 32 to 29 um, the weekend before Christmas in a game that a lot of us really enjoyed. But if you look under the hood of the Dolphins at that point, 
they had gone multiple weeks of not being able to function offensively, come to Buffalo, put up 29 points, and then go back to struggling before ultimately seeing Tua get injured. And then there was the wild game in Chicago. They won pretty comfortably. And then they come back and beat New England week 18 to end the Patriots season and make the playoffs. Then they had that close game against Miami along the way. It's like we kept making excuses for it, right? Like, Oh, they barely beat Cleveland, but there was the blizzard situation. We understand like whatever, like that, that was just get the win and move on Uh, the Minnesota loss. Yeah. That was embarrassing, but think of all the flukes that had to happen along the way. Uh, The Detroit game, Von Miller got injured. They were playing with half of a roster. Like Detroit's probably better than we thought they were. Uh, the Jets defense is excellent. They only scored 20 points, whatever. They won the game, move on. Uh, Miami had a really good game plan. Raheem Mostert could have had 200 yards rushing if McDaniel kept running the ball. The Bills probably were just trying to sack Tua. We'll move on. Um, New England, the Bills were so emotionally drained from the DeMar Hamlin situation that obviously they weren't focused for that game. Miami, oh, the Bills just kept turning the ball over. Skylar Thompson didn't really score 31 points. Um, the, the Bills shot themselves in the foot. I wonder, Luca, at the time, all of those excuses, and I say we, like Bills fans, I said a lot of these on the air. All these things that we were using as excuses for the Bills for playing closer games, I wonder if we just peel that back and look at it for what the results really were. Should we have seen this coming? Because what the Bills didn't have since October 16th is a win over a good team. Yeah. And to me that I think that's alarming. Yeah. 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 No, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. It, it kind of almost affirms what I was talking about earlier. I think you merged those points perfectly when we were at the, what now, you know, hindsight 2020 was the peak of this season week six win in arrowhead Everything is in front of us. We're going into a bye week. You're going to be able to make those little adjustments. Everything's going great. Everything's perfect. And you come out of that questionable time after time. Excuses can be made left and right. Allen, you know, Allen's got the elbow injury was always thrown out there of why the offense wasn't a hundred percent and clicking things of that nature. I think it's just a good, it's a good lesson. I, I think that point and stuff, I don't want to get caught up on should we have seen this coming more so? The answer is yes, we probably should have. But where I want to lean into that or lead that into is this is something we can learn from. And maybe as fans, as just individuals who love and pour their their heart and soul into cheering for this team, we need to have the ability to step back and look at it more realistically, more you know objectively, and just understand what is happening in the moment so we can kind of keep ourselves in check because if we were able to do that, I think the uh, gut reactions, the emotional down, everything of that, that came of this game wouldn't be severe at all. It would just be, you know, look, we were favored by five and a half, but then probably going into this game, we weren't think we wouldn't be thinking, Oh, we're going to kill these guys because they're so depleted on the offensive line. We would have been like, this team hasn't been able to rush the passer against anyone, no matter who's in front of them. So why do we think that's going to be any different, even though it's a bunch of backups? Because guess what? That was the reality of this game. And they got dominated doing that. And we could have seen that for weeks now. We could have seen that for months now. It wasn't going to happen. They were going to get chewed alive in that department. And 
it would just settle things down and allow us to just not be as overly emotional on Twitter. You see, of course, the fire McDermott's and all that stuff. If you could look at something a little bit more objectively, if you could read between the lines and see what this team had been doing all season long, I don't think you would even ever find yourself in an emotional capacity to think, you know, that emotional reaction of fire McDermott, this is embarrassing. All that stuff would be the case. We just put ourselves there. And by doing so, yes, we should have seen it coming, but we didn't. We wanted to create those excuses. We wanted to believe that this team was better than what it was actually laid out in front of us. And the sad reality is maybe next year, we need to be able to pull ourselves away a little bit, you know, like uh, every new year, Josh, totally on un- football related. Uh, I learned this from my fiance and I think this is awesome. This is actually a life-changing thing for me. It's great. She just hands me an Ignis card. And I'm sure people do this start of the new year. You write down four to five goals you have for that year. You tuck it away somewhere where you know, you're going to pull it back out at the end of that year. And maybe we need to have something like that with our fandom. You don't have to literally do this, but just write that down. Do not let yourself get overly emotional, create excuses, however you want to word it, and be able to look at your team objectively more so, so you don't go through emotional highs and lows. I mean, part of it is the fun of that, of course, but I don't want to sit here in a suit and a black shirt acting like I'm at a funeral of my team. I mean, it is pretty funny, but I don't want to be doing that again next year because I wasn't able to see the writing on the wall. I want to be able to do that because unfortunately 13 seconds happens. That's okay. (laughs) Like I'm now in a world now where I'd rather have just that happen than live in a denial reality that then I just get pounded and it's like, oh crap, here we are three months now. We should have been able to see this coming, but we didn't want to believe it. We created these excuses And now it's just depressing and sad and frustrating, all wrapped up in a beautiful little ball here. And you bring up this question to me on January 22nd. And I'm just like, yeah, we're stupid. We should have seen this coming. This was inevitable, essentially. We are not better than the Bengals, even with down linemen, because we, with our starters, were unable to be productive enough to make that difference happen. And that's just the reality of it. And there were hints of it last week against Miami when this team did not generate a pass rush against a very banged up line. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I said to multiple people today, people, you know, the some of you out there can maybe relate to this. I had some people texting me, checking on me, like, you know, how you doing? Sorry, your team lost. Like, I appreciate all that. I really do. And the thing I told them all was, you know, it it sucks. Like, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't suck. I'm really upset about it, but what I'm not going to do probably Luca is I'm probably not going to toss and turn in bed tonight and think about like one play or think about like one sequence. The bills got dominated from start to finish in this game. I can be as mad as I want to about the punt before halftime or the punt on fourth and two, when the bills desperately need to hang onto the ball or (laughs) the third, the third and 10 where the bills are clearly all out blitzing. I just thought about this and now I am getting, Oh, and they're playing off coverage on Jamar chase (laughs) seven yards off coverage, third and four all out blitz. Anybody who's played five minutes of Madden in their life knew where Joe Burrow was going to go with the ball, except for the 11 players on the bills defense. But all of that being said, you take that play away and the Bills still lose. So, from a emotional standpoint, like I'm going to have an easier time getting over this game because just like the 2020 AFC championship game, 
it was very apparent who the better team was. And it was like, well, you know, this was a fun year. We have a long way to go before we can get to their level. Hopefully this off season, we can get there. The pain from the 13 seconds stung for the entire off season. But the belief we had coming out of that game that we were the best team in the sport motivated us through that off season. And then when they go out and they get a Von Miller and you're just like, whoa, like we already had the best team in the sport and now we added Von Miller. Let's go. The short term pain isn't going to be as strong for me because I'm, I have a much easier time coping with the fact that the bills just got their tails kicked. The long-term scars this entire offseason, it's going to be hard for me, you know, barring another Von Miller pull from the Bills this offseason or just a home run in the draft or, you know, hiring an offensive coordinator that just gets me super excited or changes that I can't foresee sitting here on January 22nd. It's going to be hard for me to get to a point where next August we're doing our season prediction show, Luca, and I envision myself picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Now, does me picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl in August have anything to do with if they're going to win the Super Bowl or not? No. It's just about where I'm at with this team right now, how much ground I think they have to make up, and how many resources I think they actually have to put toward that. I think they have a tough hill to climb, and um, you know, I am a little, I'm a little discouraged. So as nice as it is to not have to worry about like tossing and turning tonight about a, a sequence in the game that cost them the game, Maybe I'll be tossing and turning about questioning how good is this football team? And that might be equally painful. Yeah, it's it's kind of just a different reality check or a different emotional response that you have to something like this. This is not like the AFC championship to me because that was kind of a unexpected surprise. We really I I don't want to say we outkicked our coverage because, I mean, Josh Allen just ascended at a much higher level than anything we expected based on the previous year. Right. He just all of a sudden skyrocketed and has now become the meme of if your quarterback stunk for two years, you could become this. Like that's what, you know, we joke about all the time. But this one is more similar to that, of course, than the 13 seconds. What I will add is everyone just needs to emotionally cope with this different. I will not be watching championship football next week. I have booked a virtual tea time for myself. I will just be getting away exactly like what I did, ironically enough, after last year. Conference championship games, get away from it. Don't watch football. Unfortunately, the place I go does broadcast it, so I'll be hearing it, but that's okay with me. As long as I'm focused on golf, not that, we're good. But what I will say is I'm very, now pulling away from that now, I'm very interested and almost, I want to say excited, but I'm not excited in a positive way. It's excited as adversity is now, again, slap this team in the face. They just got physically punched in the face for 60 minutes. Now reality is set in and adversity has come across them where, look, you don't have as good as a team as you thought you did. There are a lot of holes. You need to make changes. Things need to be done. Where are you going to go from here? And I'm excited to see where this team is because this entire offseason, I'm going to be interested in what they do respond with. Are they going to change coordinators? Are they going to make massive personnel decisions that change the face of this team as a whole? Like, what are they going to do in response to this? Because I think the response in this needs to be far greater than what we saw after 13 seconds. The response to what just occurred this season and just now in the divisional round this year needs to be, I don't want to say more drastic because that just makes it sound like you're trying to, you know, throw a ton of mud at the wall and hope it sticks and just do it for the sake of changing. 
but I want them to have that mindset because you do need to probably change a lot and you just need to figure out where those changes need to happen immediately. And that is what I'm very, very, very intrigued in because this game should have lit a fire under everyone's butt involved that makes those decisions and will be making those changes, hopefully. Like that is what I'm very intrigued with because it needs to happen. And if they want to get where they want to go, it's just a must. It's an absolute must. We've talked about it this entire episode, it seems like, at length. You need to do something. You cannot just run it back with what you have and feel like something's going to be different because you just got punched in the face. Reality set in. The entire season almost was overachieving in a weird way. And now what are you going to do to make sure you get a similar result record-wise but actually are able to then punch your you know, punch your opponent in the playoffs rather than get slapped and punched in the face when Joe Burrow, Mahomes come around because – this is just not it. The collapse in Houston and after the 2019 season was an opportunity gone. 13 seconds was a very big opportunity gone. And then today you had a team in your building down three starting offensive linemen and your first and second round draft picks and high investments on the defensive line not only couldn't expose that, but they got ran all the way over and instead of moving on to play an injured Patrick Mahomes on a neutral field for the AFC championship, you're home next week questioning all of the decisions now that led to this roster on the field that you spent all those draft picks building being run over by the Cincinnati Bengals. This team is at a little bit of a crossroads right now. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a tough pill for them to swallow. And we will see what happens moving forward in this offseason because they have let another fantastic opportunity go by. And as much as we want to believe in the operation and the team and Josh Allen, who knows how many more opportunities in the future they will have that set up this perfectly with Joe Burrow's team being undermanned in our building with Patrick Mahomes being injured and not at Arrowhead. So I think the bills are going to get back to the playoffs. I think there'll be plenty more Josh Allen versus Joe Burrow games and Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes games. But this season set up very nicely and it was all in front of the bills. And unfortunately all it amounted to is another woulda, coulda, shoulda. But Luca, this is going to be the most painful segment of the week now because we do it after every game. We have to do it now. It's game balls and game checks. Oh, who, this is a tough one. Who gets your game ball, Luca, for their season-ending performance in the 27-10 loss to the Cincinnati Bengals today? So it almost feels – so we talked off air if we were even going to do this. You didn't even give me a response, so I love that, honestly. I didn't know if you we were <laughs> going to do it. And here we are doing this right now. And I had two options that I told you leading into this that I wrote down. And I now that we're here, I'm debating real quick how I want to go, but it feels right. It feels right in the moment right now with everything we discussed and, and essentially what now looking at my notes here, we have talked about at length of potentially an hour and 20 minutes about there's one key focal point and there's one key thing that really is what everything we've discussed here today, and that's coaching. And it's funny to bring that up right now because we're talking about game balls, not game checks. But I bring it up because it feels fitting that I'm going to give my ball to someone that didn't play 
in the game and wasn't on the Bills' sideline. And that's Zach Taylor. Look, he deserves my game ball. What he did with every excuse he possibly could have, essentially, on the offensive side to maybe not have his best, especially after showing late in the game last week that he didn't have his best once those injuries started piling up there. It could have gone south, but he devised and orchestrated a game plan that was borderline perfect for everyone involved and just maximized what people could do for him on the offensive side of the ball and had a game plan that he, I'm sure he presented to the defensive side and executed that perfectly. Zach Taylor showed why he is now should be considered an elite coach in this league because what he just did today in Orchard Park. He absolutely deserves our respect. He deserves our respect. I already had Zach Taylor going into this game on that. He really could approach that. That performance and just the dominance that the Bengals did, I absolutely put a lot of weight on Zach Taylor being a great coach and a great person for that team. So I just can't not give him a game ball. Like it has to happen. And finally, here we are on Bill's chat. And I'm giving a game ball to someone that is not within the Bills organization, but it absolutely feels justified. So Zach Taylor gets my game ball because that was class. I appreciate it. it he absolutely warrants it. Uh, I'm going to stick with my own little personal rule where I have to give it to a member of the Buffalo Bills. And it's tough. When you were talking, I was listening, but also looking through the stats and I'm like, Eh, Dawson Knox had an okay game, I guess. Uh, you know, Mitch Morse seemed to do okay, I suppose. I mean, I could just give it to him. Nobody would really notice. Um, you know, Tremaine Edmonds had 10, 10 tackles, Luca. 10 yeah. tackles for Tremaine Edmonds didn't feel a lot of impact. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it to Jordan Poyer. And this is more of a lifetime achievement game ball versus anything that happened in today's game. In fact, I think we all could agree that Poyer probably had some plays he wants back. There were a couple of pass plays by the Bengals today uh, that he was the closest guy on the screen. And we, we haven't had a chance to go back and watch the coach's film. Uh, I, I probably won't be honest with you. I just, I won't go back and rewatch this game. Um, but you know, he was the closest guy on the field. Who knows if it was his mistake, not his best game on the field. Um, this was the first loss the bills had this year with Jordan Poyer starting. Um, but uh, I get the sense pretty strong sense. This was probably the last game in a bills uniform for all 21. He's been a warrior for this team ever since he showed up in 2017 as an under-the-radar free agent, elevating his game to a pro bowler, all-pro level player, all-pro Poe. Um, it's been a, an absolute pleasure, an honor to watch him play and grow both as a player and as a human being if you followed his off-the-field story. So uh, Jordan Poyer, if this was in fact your last game as a Buffalo Bill, just want to say thank you. It's been absolutely fantastic watching you be a member of this team. And I think there's a very, very high chance that you find yourself on the Bills Wall of Fame, you know, in the next decade or so. So uh, we'll see what happens this offseason. Nobody knows. Uh, but for that, Jordan Poya will get my game ball. All right, Luca, <laughs> this this is a little easier. Um, who who gets your game check? Mm, so I have a lot of things written down for this segment. Um, obviously I can't list them off. I just want to also give real quick Khalil Shakir only two hmm. catches on the day on two targets absolutely deserves a little bit of a shout out because both of those catches came in what seemed like in those drives key moments. He, you know, he was there for Josh 
that's more of a, you know, to the opposite of what you just did. It's like a bright future. Potentially, hopefully we can see a little bit more out of him once he gets a full NFL offseason without all the rookie crap out, you know, in the way and stuff. So Kalil Shakir, nice little shout out. But OK, back to game checks and Zach Moss Memorial Award. There's a lot of different directions. I could do a classic thing, Josh, that I love to do where I pick a large group rather than just an individual. Everybody wearing blue. (laughs) Yeah. The only reason I'm not going to do that is I feel like that's just too unfair. If I do the group that I wrote down, it's just too big of a group because it might be an entire side of a ball. Um, I'm going to go to the same direction that I went with my game ball. Look, I talked about how Zach Taylor had an absolute class coaching performance today even though it wasn't you know 45 points and stuff i think everyone can agree with what he had and what he had up against him class mcdermott almost the polar opposite it just seemed like a game where mcdermott in every facet in every direction possible he got out coached and it's unacceptable to have a team in the situation with Josh Allen in the divisional playoffs at home and everything like that to be out coached in every facet of the game. You cannot be a liability if you're a head coach of the Bills team today. And I just do not understand how he was able to get to that point. We discussed it at length, of course, in this episode and stuff where the mindset is with that. It's not, I think, entirely at McDermott as a whole but he is also responsible for employing individuals underneath him and everything like that. So just because it's kind of, I guess, doing what I do where I take an entire group, Josh, just indirectly, you of course go to the face of that group and that is your leader. That is your head coach. So for the final Zach Moss Memorial award of the 2022, 2023 season, it feels weird to be giving that award from myself to head coach, Sean McDermott. No, I think it, I think it makes sense. I think this is one of those games where there's plenty of blame to go around and you show me a player that doesn't deserve blame for today. And I'll be very surprised. You know, obviously Khalil Shakir had a, had a decent game. Um, there was somebody else I just saw that I, I thought had, Oh, Cole Beasley. I thought, you know, uh, I thought he had a really nice catch on a play where Josh Allen was really like struggling to find anybody open and just threw it to Beasley. I thought he had a, you know, a fairly nice game. He, he's been solid. He hasn't been what we thought we were getting back from him though. Um, you know, I'm looking at this and I want to talk about, you know, the defensive line. I want to talk about the secondary. I want to talk about the offensive line. I'm trying to think which way I want to go here. And I'm going to kind of go maybe a little bit different direction here. I'm going to go with the name Eric Washington. And for those of you out there that don't know, Eric Washington is the defensive line coach of the Buffalo Bills. Brandon Bean has given him a first round pick in Ed Oliver, a first round pick in Gregory Rousseau, a high, high, high dollar free agent in Von Miller, the 27th highest paid defensive tackle in Daquan Jones, a second round pick in AJ Epinesa a second round pick in Boogie Basham at one point, a third round pick in Harrison Phillips. They've spent money on Tim settle. Um, there's been high dollars spent on Starla Tulele. There's been high dollars spent on Mario Addison. They spent high dollars on Trent Murphy. They have continuously spent high dollars on this position group and they have not been able to get it right. And then Von Miller obviously was working when he was here. And I think it's going to pay off, but they had to pay him a historic contract to get here. 
And my question is, sir, if you are so good at your job, why does this team have to keep sinking so many premium resources into a position to make you good at your job? And why do we keep leaving every season thinking that the defensive line is still a weakness? Are we looking at another offseason where we're thinking, oh, the Bills need to beef up their defensive line? I certainly don't want to sign up for that, but I also don't know how you can watch what happened today in Orchard Park against the Bengals and think, oh, the Bills are just fine running it back with this group. I don't know what they're supposed to do there, but I do know that the face of that coaching staff is Eric Washington. I don't pretend to know what he does during the week, but you're the defensive line coach. Your name is on that group. And for you, you get my game check because I don't know what the hell you're doing with all these resources they give you. Do you have any input in the players they're drafting or picking out a free agency? I don't know what's going on. You're the defensive line coach. The defensive line has been completely underwhelming. A few other Honorable mentions here, Spencer Brown, <laughs> Buffalo Live on Friday. I said you had to have a very good game, um, it, and if you did, it would give the Bills a very good chance to do so. You struggled mightily, almost got Josh Allen hurt again. Uh, Roger Saffold, thanks for coming by, Roger. Can't wait to never see you block for the Buffalo Bills again. Uh, that was a very, very, very poor free agent signing that did not work out. The best thing you brought was durability, but unfortunately that meant you were on the field the whole time. Quite honestly, Deion Dawkins, you've been a kind of a steady left tackle. Not great, but these last few weeks, you've even been really struggling. Trey Hendrickson really ate his lunch today, in my opinion. Um, on the defensive side, I don't want to hold too much against the defensive backs. This was a tall order today. I did not expect Kyer Elam, Tredavious White, and Dane Jackson to be sticky in coverage against the Bengals wide receivers. It's why we talked all week long about the matchup of the defensive line against the offensive line and how they had to win that matchup, and then they didn't. So Eric Washington, you're my game check, and then everybody else that I just mentioned, you also had your share of my frustration. So... What else, Luca? What, what else do we need to get off our chest here as we're almost at two hours at this funeral here? Is there anything you need to add? Oh, I do put blame on the secondary. I mean, even in that moment, like it seemed like Trey White was starting to get back mentally and stuff, and then he's just getting beat and is unable to hold his own. And then on top of that, it you know, Dane Jackson was the only guy who made a play in the secondary. He had a nice breakup when a mm -hmm. pass was thrown to Jamar Chase that – Maybe it was like a hair underthrown or whatever, but it was still a good ball and it was a great breakup. But when that's literally the only play the secondary made where it wasn't just them cleaning up a bad play, that's not good. Like, that's not good. You deserve blame. Like, you absolutely, I don't care. Like, at some point, keep it in front of you. Just at some point, please. Because it shouldn't feel like, or, well, keep it in front of you when you're not off the screen. Let me let me start there because there were moments, of course, where you see a guy get catch the ball and then it's like, where is the closest defender? And then as he's running up five, 10 yards the field, then eventually a DB forces him out of bounds or tackles him or whatever. That that's also unacceptable. So my other note, and I said the entire side of the ball was just the defense. What are we doing? What is going on? And why did you I you know, sometimes I like to have these weird things that just pop in my brain and I say them out loud. And there was one that got a good laugh in my living room, but they look like a bunch of headless children out there. When have you ever seen headless children? Hopefully never. But it was just what my mind thought about this defense. It looked like 11 people that looked and appeared like headless children out there running around. And it's just horrifying. I mean, the image is horrifying. What I was watching was horrifying. It just made sense in my brain as weird as it was. And it was just 
pathetic. I don't want to watch a, you know, first round pick top 10 pick in, you know, Ed Oliver twinkle toes out there, not being confident and able to get leverage to maybe blow up alignment across him. I don't want to watch that. Like that's the other thing. I don't know. And they said, of course, in the post-game press conferences that footing didn't bother him, weather didn't bother them, all that stuff. Why did it look like the Bengals were comfortable in that? And we weren't both sides of the ball. And I almost question the equipment staff and stuff and wonder what the hell happened with their footing and everything like that. Was there footing adjustments made? Did McDermott think about asking, hey, can we get these guys, you know, longer studs and things like that, which do exist, by the way. They have that ability to get these people better footing and better equipment on their feet to be more comfortable with that. I don't care if that reduces their speed by, you know, 0.1 seconds in a 40. Who gives a crap? You need to be comfortable on your feet and not at any point did either side of the ball for the Bills look like they were comfortable and then vice versa. The Bengals looked like they were ready for it the entire time. That to me puts a little bit of a finger point at the equipment staff because they did not have these players ready and able to be comfortable with the conditions at hand. Where the fault actually lies, of course, we don't know, but that's just something that's worth being said. It's something you would never really think about as a general fan but as the game's going, when one side looks comfortable and the other doesn't, an adjustment needs to be made. And there are things you can do to make players more comfortable in this. There's a reason games have been played in weather like this before. You have equipment and stuff that can make it more comfortable and able to be run through as if nothing is going on. Because one side was able to do that. And I'm watching my team who is playing here all the time and should be capable of being used to this not look like they were used to it at all and was uncomfortable with it the entire time. That to me is borderline unacceptable. I don't know where the fault is, but I'm just going to throw the equipment people under the bus because I don't know where else to point to drive that point to. So that's just another one that I kind of just, it just, just drove me insane. I don't, I don't get that one at all. I have some good news to end the show on tonight and it's not going to sound like good news, but I think maybe, maybe if you think about it and you're honest with yourself, it is good news. 13 seconds haunts all of us. It still does. And it feels like that was the Bills' chance to win the Super Bowl that they let slip through their fingers with an absolute gaffe defensively against the Chiefs. The problem with that is that was not the Super Bowl. That was the division round. The next week, the Bills were going to be playing these Bengals in Buffalo. And for the majority of the offseason, most of us just assumed that that was going to be an easy Bills win. And then they would go on and play the Rams in the Super Bowl and then win that. I think after today, Luca, I think we need to stop looking at 13 seconds as a lost Super Bowl and look at 13 seconds as a lost playoff game. Was the opportunity there to win the Super Bowl? Sure. Just like Music City Miracle was an opportunity there to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But I think one thing Bills fans probably need to cope with, and I think it's it's helpful is there's no guarantee that they were just going to roll over those Bengals last January and get to the Super Bowl. This team is better than we all thought. They're coached very well. And the all the O-line issues they had last year were very present today. Von Miller was not a bill last year. And I think it's very realistic to think that maybe if these two teams played last year, the game would have looked somewhat like this game here today. Uh, does that make you feel any better? Luca? Um, No. <laughs> Just just going to be blatantly honest. Like, I love the point. I think that's a great way to kind of reel it in. And it, maybe other people need to hear that. I don't care for that. I didn't. So I will add this. 
I thought the opportunity was incredible if they didn't blow 13 seconds. I was not in the camp that it was like a borderline inevitable thing that they would make the Super Bowl if they didn't screw that one up. You still have to play the game. You saw that it wasn't even the team that you lost to in those 13 seconds. That was the one to end up going to the Super Bowl. So to me, I almost question those people out there that did feel like that. Yes, it would have been a great opportunity, but it wasn't the team that you did choke that for all of a lack of intensive purposes. You know, that's what it was. You choked. It wasn't that team that went on. It was the other one. It was the one that went into their house and actually took care of business. And the one that, as you pointed out, just came into Orchard Park and took care of business here. So I think other people might need to hear that. Unfortunately, that doesn't make me feel better because I never really lived in that world. But it's a great point. It's absolutely worth being said. I have one more thing that might make you make, make you feel better. Okay. I have been comparing these Buffalo Bills, these Josh Allen, Sean McDermott Buffalo Bills to the early 2000s Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts had a nemesis, the New England Patriots, right? And in 2003, the Colts kind of surprised everybody and made it to the conference championship game before they got whooped by the Patriots. Uh, That if you want to line that up, that could be the Bills in 2020 making it to the conference championship and getting whooped by the Chiefs. The next year in the divisional round, the Colts played the Patriots again and lost in New England. The next year for the Bills, they went to the divisional round and lost to the Chiefs. The year after that, it looked like everything was lining up for the Colts. The Patriots actually were out of the way, which isn't the case for the Chiefs here. And an AFC North team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, came to town with their young young quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, in his second year. So that's a little bit different. And knocked the Colts out of the playoffs because the Colts could not block their front. Well... Mm-hmm. An AFC North team came here today when everything was lined up for us and knocked us out of the playoffs. And a lot of it had to do with blocking. So I will just tell you the next year, the Colts went on to win the Super Bowl. Maybe potentially, hopefully, hopefully you never know. Edrin James was their starting running back too. He left via free agency, went to the Arizona Cardinals. Devin Singletary, our starting running back, could leave via free agency. The the parallels are right there. I don't know, Luca. This one's going to leave a bad taste in all of our mouths. I think um, I, I wasn't ready to, to lose today. <laughs> I really wasn't. Um, I, I knew in my mind the Bengals were good. I really did, and I respected them, and I certainly knew it was a possibility but it wasn't really until the game got underway that it really felt like, oh, this isn't going to be the Bills' day. And uh, I did not wake up in the headspace of this was going to be the last football football day for our Buffalo Bills. I was fully prepared to enjoy a day of watching football, see the Bills ultimately pull out what I thought was going to be a close game and get excited for the conference championship next week and have that Mahomes-Allen rematch. And it's not, not going to happen. And uh, I would say I'm in a little bit of shock right now uh, it all makes sense how it happened, but it also doesn't make sense how a team that looked so good for so long could have unraveled so fast. So I, I think everybody's kind of just trying to figure out what we just saw. Yeah, um, I will say if you if we're trying to do like all, you know, happy stuff here at the end, um, there's a tweet that's gone around viral and stuff like that. And uh, it's an individual that has been verified to have been accurately tweeted at the time of which they did and predicted the next 10 Super Bowls or whatever the length was. I can't remember. I want to say it was like 12. It was a weird number, if I remember. 
and he has accurately predicted them up until this year, <clears throat> which is about four or five of them. And this season, he had the Eagles. I bring it up because, one, the Eagles are still in this one and look like a great chance to win. The following season, he had the Bills winning the Super Bowl in 2024. So, to go with your statement on your comparison with the Colts. Fly, Eagle fly. <laughs> yeah, we should all be rooting for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl so that maybe this guy really is a time traveler and he actually does know that the Bills win the Super Bowl this year. I think, if I remember correctly, that tweet had it Eagles, then Bills, then Bengals. It all kind of makes sense. And all of a sudden, when he tweeted it out in 2016, that made no sense at all. The Bills in 2016 were in a horrible situation. So, hey, look, you can try to pull a positive wherever you need. Whatever anyone out there needs to do to make them put them to put themselves in a better place mentally, I'm all for it. And there's another little sprinkle there. If you didn't even know about that one, it had been pretty viral and stuff. People have been pulling it because that same guy, by the way, Josh has predicted like the past four World Series champions as well. And next year is the Yankees. So, of course, all the Yankees people are just going ape about it. It's like, oh, this is going to be it and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, go fly, Eagles fly. Hopefully the Eagles win. And maybe there's something to that. Your Colts comparison and everything kind of fits a lot of similarities. And the last thing I'll leave everyone with is the universe works in weird ways. And that's kind of where we're going with this, right, Josh? In my living room, when the thing, when the game itself was going very south, uh, there was a discussion being had and just between myself and a friend where we were talking about what was going on. And randomly, a Monday night game between the Bears and the Cardinals came up and just, the, you know, of course, they are who we thought they were and all that stuff. This has nothing to do with the Bills right now. But the universe works in a weird way because he then proceeds to leave my house. He works as a DoorDash driver. He was picking up an order before he went, you know, on his way home and stuff to work a little bit. And he picked up an order and an individual came shouting out of the bar of which the restaurant he was walking into to pick up the order from shouting all this stuff and immediately shouted. They are who we thought they were. And he yelled, let him off the hook. And the guy got it and laughed and stuff. Totally unconnected. No way he would have absolutely known anything about this. My friend called me immediately goes, you know, there it is. We live in a simulation. Something is happening that's strange. The universe works in a weird way. So if all of these dots we have just at the end here connected, maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe we need to just live one more year of pain, Josh, before we finally see something positive for our Bills fandom side of our lives. And that is just something I am willing to hold on to as ridiculous as it may sound until we get to next season. And hopefully we see all the changes that are required to maybe make that happen and make this time traveler guy and your Colts comparison and everything like that work so beautifully perfect. I, I'm sorry, Luca. I wasn't even listening. I was putting $100 down on the Yankees to win the World Series. <laughs> I am a believer. No, I was listening. I'm with you. It's just the day it ends is always tough. And the further you go in your season is always tough. I mean, I think back to the playoff droughts, right? There was always a game where it ended. Like, even the year, like, obviously the Steelers game in 04, like, that was the last week of the season. But you can name any random Bill season. And I can tell you when they got mathematically eliminated, like EJ Manuel's first year was a game in Toronto against the Falcons. I still remember like up until that point, I'm thinking, oh, if the Bills win out and all these teams lose that they still have a shot and it hurts. 
And it didn't hurt for as long because in the back of your mind, you knew these teams like weren't necessarily that good. The 2002 Bledsoe Bills lost in Lambeau to the Packers. And I remember that one. And 2003, they lost in Tennessee where Bobby Shaw drops a ball on a two-point conversion. And that's when they got mathematically eliminated. I remember all of these. And what's happened now is they're a playoff team. So they're actually good. So like the Houston game stunk. It, it it's haunted me for a long time, but even in the back of my mind, I knew that bills team wasn't like equipped to go win a super bowl, but I just wanted to see them win a playoff game. And this one's gonna, this one's gonna hurt like 13 seconds or this one's going to hurt, but the pain is good. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's a blessing because there were only eight teams playing football this week. And the other 24 had already gotten a head start on their off season. And it's important to know Everything we talked about tonight, every every issue we've talked about with this team, everything that we think they need to correct going into next season, and we will be here all offseason to talk all about it, they still have the baseline of being a 13-3 and team. They still have one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. Rank him however you want to. He's in the conversation, and that is a great launching off point. He's in his mid to late 20s. He has his full career ahead of him. And as long as the people that make decisions for this organization make the right decisions, the bills should, should, should wind up with this parade that we have all been craving. It just, unfortunately, Luca is not going to be happening this season. And uh, that's a, that's a real shame when you think about all the things that happened this season. I think when it comes to sports, a lot of times we were, we romanticize it. And I, I know as Bills fans, we've gone through so much pain that we've all visualized what it's going to be like when they win the Super Bowl. And I think what's making this one harder to swallow is the way this season was going. It was like a movie, like the blizzard taking away the home game, signing Von Miller, having him go back and beat the Rams on opening night, uh, the Josh Allen injury, and then he overcomes it. Um, the DeMar Hamlin situation. There's just so much this team has gone through. And it just felt like that losing the two AFC East games to start the season off and then ripping off four more in a row before ultimately ending the Patriots and the Dolphins season. It felt like this team really had like the storybook ending coming. And unfortunately it didn't. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is if, and when the bills win the Super Bowl, it'll probably be one where they, they beat a team that we're not even emotionally connected to. And it won't be Patrick Mahomes standing there in the AFC title game looking at the Bills winning it. It'll probably be like Kenny Pickett or something. And it'll be just fine because they'll finally get that trophy. But this one, I think, is tough because it sure felt like it was a storybook and fate. And if you believe in all that, it felt like it was all pointing toward the Bills. And unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, life's not, you know, life's not a movie. We like to say sometimes, oh, that was a movie. But life's not a movie. It's reality. It's, It's real. Like shit happens you know we have to you have to always you want to believe that the great thing is going to come and when when it builds up like a movie when it seems surreal at times that we've had to achieve and 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 live through all this adversity to get to this point you want to believe that that will propel them to the ultimate high but in all reality you have a moment like today and it's just not going to happen it's nothing to dwell on but it's going to hurt, you know. I'm glad, though, that, I, you know, I love that you bring up the Houston game because I don't know if I've talked about this on air yet with our podcast. I may have a long time ago. We probably have grown in a listener base from then. But 
just to show growth, right? If, if we want to, I want to try to spin this positively because I just want to be a positive person here now. I think that's what we need to do. I think positivity is what we need, right? Look at you. <laughs> I've come a far away. That Houston game, you know, it was the first playoff game in a long time, right? As you said, it it wasn't like I believe that team could go all the way to the Super Bowl, although I do have a very big love for the Cardinals and a team that did not seem like it was going to go to the Super Bowl did have a run. So I also had that in the back of my head, like anything is possible. You just get to the tournament and anything can happen. And now here was the beloved bills finally in that postseason with Allen now, and let's see what we can do in this game because, you know, a couple of years prior, it was the tie rod. It was kind of a bore fest. It was just great to be there. It was a bowl game. They were happy to be there. Right. Happy to be there. Now we're in the playoff game. It's like, Hey, can we really win this one? And how it happened, everything that went, we end up losing that one. As you said, it still kind of haunts me as well. Maybe not as much as you. I know those kinds of things haunt you a little bit more. But I drank myself unconscious that night, and it was brutal. Like, I, friends were telling my girlfriend at the time, now my fiance and soon-to-be wife, you know, good luck dealing with Luca. As I don't even remember. I know it was a Patriots-Titans game that followed that. I don't remember the end of Patriots-Brady era because I was just passed out drunk on my couch and just could not function as a human being. And here I am now dealing with playoff losses, talking to you on a podcast, showing growth, trying to be positive here. And I have never found myself in that predicament again, just grabbing the vodka bottle and pouring very, very, very strong quadruples or whatever. I mean, it's basically vodka on the rocks to the rim and just pounding that to get rid of that kind of feeling. So growth, we have, we have graduated to, Look, it stinks, but we need to move on. There is a bigger objective in mind. Uh, it's going to suck in the offseason. We didn't achieve the goal that we hope to have, you know, prior to this season, but there will be another season. It's the ironic and hilarious thing. And, you know, of course, in Buffalo, and I'm sure, you know, you've heard it being even in distance. It's always there's always next year. It's always a catchphrase. It's always a thing that gets said around town and stuff. There is always next year. And you have Josh Allen, as you've painted a picture of. We are not in a closed Super Bowl window all of a sudden. We still have a window there. You just hope the people that make decisions make the right ones, not the wrong ones. And we can just keep progressing forward and hopefully achieve that goal. And hopefully that one dude on Twitter is actually a time traveler and everything is fine. We're good. Everything's great. Let's be positive a little bit. It's okay, you know, to be upset for now. Like, like I said, I booked a virtual tea time. I am not watching football next week. I don't have any interest in watching football next week. I even during work days, listen to, you know, the Dan Patrick show and then the McAfee show in the afternoon. I'll probably have them on, but I'm not going to be paying attention to them nearly like I normally do. And it's just going to be that time. I'm going to give myself a week to process it, be off everything like that, and then just get back to it and I'll be fine. That's how I process it. Everyone out there processes it differently. Do whatever you need to do. If you do need a drink or two, and that's how you need to do it, more on you. Proud of you. But growth, let's move on. Let's move forward. And there are hopefully better times on the horizon. Everything will be okay. Hopefully. <laughs> Just think about this. The Bills did something this season that the Miami Dolphins have not done since 2001. They won a playoff game. And that's not the ultimate goal, but it's not nothing. Um, Yeah, that Houston game was painful. I remember sitting in a dark, just in my dark basement, just kind of like peeking over the TV every few, every few moments, like in my little depression, like, wait a minute, is Brady really going to lose this? Did Brady throw an interception? And it did kind of cheer me up. Uh, uh, Yeah, but I'm with you, Luca. I, 
you know, sports are not a movie and uh, we are showing growth. I think this podcast has helped me. I, I know in a lot of ways, like after that Minnesota game, like just being able to come on here and talk about it with you and kind of talk through it all. It, it's been, it's been great therapy for me a lot of, in a lot of ways, kind of sort through my thoughts. And then as things are playing out, it has me in a different headspace during the game where instead of just being like angry or like happy, I have to kind of also be in a controlled space because I need to be able to articulate it on our show, like what happened, what, how I processed it when it happened. The tricky thing about being a sports fan, and I know we can all relate to this, is we all want this so bad and we have no control over it, like zero control. If I decide tomorrow I want to go lose 20 pounds or I want to go run a marathon, I can make changes in my life to help myself have a better odds of doing that. We have zero control over whether or not the Buffalo Bills make the right decisions to ultimately get to a Super Bowl. We just watch and hope. So what I would tell you all to do is do what my guy Luca is doing. Decompress for a week. Take yourself away from the national TV. I can promise you as annoying as Nick Wright and Colin Cowherd can be when the Bills are good, multiply that by 150 when they're playing I told you so tomorrow. Just take yourself out of that space. I'm going to dive into professional wrestling podcasts tomorrow. I'm going to listen to podcasts about WrestleMania three and Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the giant. And I'm going to pretend football doesn't exist. I might listen to a little bit of WGR because that's my team. That's my fans. That's, that's my group of people still trying to figure out what we just saw, but I'm going to try to take myself out of the football world for a little bit. I will be back in the football world on Friday. And so will Luca. And we'll be back on Built-In Buffalo Live, live on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. We are not going anywhere. We are going to be here throughout the offseason. Our schedule may change as we move along. We're still trying to figure that out. Uh, but we will be back on Friday. And, uh, you know, we'll have about a five-day time frame now to kind of cool off from this. Cooler heads will prevail. We certainly won't have a game to preview, but we'll have – an off season to kind of kickstart. Maybe some news will come out. I would actually expect Luca that maybe we hear something. I, I maybe not like a coordinator fired, maybe a coordinator fired, but I would be shocked if by the time Friday rolls around that we don't hear at least about some change in the organization. Yeah. You would expect, you know, whatever. And maybe the defensive line coach gets canned, you know, something like that. You might hear the early scapegoat firings, uh, you know, kind of how you, talked about it earlier it could be a scapegoat situation it could be just a moving on it could be you know anything of the sort you know maybe they just publicize the fact that you know Poyer announces that he will not be back with the team who knows that would be a little weird but still we could hear something about the direction of this team and where they would be moving towards um I also wouldn't be surprised if nothing happens. Like they just want a week to process and get away and stuff like that. I think this team has now had three straight deep runs essentially where they've had a lot of an emotional situation going on where maybe they do need to step away for a few days and stuff. I don't expect McDermott and Bean and stuff. So that's where leading to your point with the coordinators and stuff, you could hear something like that, but player wise and stuff, I would imagine after they do locker clean out tomorrow or Tuesday or whatever, um, well, you might be listening on Monday. So on Monday or Tuesday, whenever they do locker clean out and stuff after that media appearance, I 
I would be surprised if we hear anything from players other than maybe a media appearance for Von Miller on McAfee, like he always does. And I even doubt that would happen. So maybe a coordinator, maybe not, who knows, but as you said, we will be back on Friday and then we will just uh, have to figure out where our podcast and live show schedule goes from there. Because I mean, in all reality, we talked about it before we came on air here, the NFL combine is in a month. And I mean, basically that kicks off your off season because it's NFL combine. And then it's basically the turn of the calendar year for the NFL and free agency opens up. And next thing you know, Josh and I are diving head deep into possibly our second most fun, not possibly it literally is our second most fun thing about the NFL season. And that is the lovely little event that is known as the NFL draft. And I am very excited for that because once we get to that point, I would hope we are in a good headspace and we can just look positively moving forward. We know what the direction of the team might be uh, coaching wise and even have a better idea personnel wise. So exciting times ahead again, but um, yeah, we just all need to cope and process what we do. And then hopefully by the time we, you and I are back on air live Friday, we have calmer minds and maybe have a thing or two to talk about, but maybe we just got to talk things over more and just see where the direction of the team is at that point in time. And then look at it a little bit more objectively on what we would like to see in the near future with this team and organization going into next season so that they can hopefully get past the divisional round after back-to-back years, not getting out of that round of the playoffs. It's going to be tough, but we'll see what happens. And like Lucas said, the best thing about losing in the playoffs is you're already really close to the off season part, like the, the draft and free agency. You're a lot closer than if you didn't make the playoffs and your season ends in December, but We will see what happens. We will see you this coming Friday on Built in Buffalo Live, and we will see you next time on Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. 